Life goes on. Robert Frost. All right, what is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to the podcast that helps you be the leader. I'm Jeremiah Sullivan. I'm your host. And man, I'm fired up for today's episode because we have another special one. Uh, we have a guest today. And as you guys know, we don't do a whole lot of guests. So, you know, this is an, an honor and a privilege for me personally. You're going to want to take notes on this episode. You're going to want to bring, you know, pull out the pen, pull out the paper, because the person I'm bringing in right now is very, very unique. This is probably, honestly, the toughest man you've never heard of. Uh, he's, I'm going to get into a little bit about his bio, but today's going to be a special treat for you. It's going to be life changing. Um, he, he's a personal friend that I've known for a little over a year now. I met him, um, on my own 100 mile race out here in Colorado, the silver Hills 100 at 10,000 feet. And when I met him, it was, I just had a profound experience. He taught me, a, you know, in this short period of time that I knew him a lessons about life. And then I continued to watch him from afar as he continued to do a feat that was, in my eyes, superhuman. So he, he helped me personally survive one of the toughest events that I've physically ever done. Additionally, he's a Princeton graduate. He's the vice president at Morgan Stanley. He's an ultra athlete. You know, this is a leader that is very, very busy, but still found a way to complete 100, 100 miles. That's, yeah, you heard that right. 100, 100 milers. Okay. And he conquered what he calls the game of hundos. And he did these back to back weekends. If I, if I'm not mistaken here, I don't know if he missed a single one. Um, we're going to find out here and you're going to learn. So, you know, you might be asking how the hell did he do that? Especially with COVID going on. Okay. COVID with the, with the quarantines and the lockdown, he continued to press forward and he still completed his mission. And he, he posted recently on Facebook. I thought it was interesting. One of his milestone victories he wrote about how during one of his hundred mile races, he did it indoors and he did it 60 miles backwards on a treadmill. Okay. <laughs> Can you imagine? So one of the things that I love about this guy is that he's, you know, he's very approachable. You know, he's somebody that you'd like to sit down and, and have a cup of coffee with, to be honest. And every time I, I see him on social media, I lighten up and I learn and it's just a special treat in my day. So I'm excited to bring him in. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Michael Ortiz. Hey, Jeremiah. <laughs> well, first, thank you for having me. Um, and thank you for the warm introduction. I, I, uh, I, that really means a lot to me. Um, I, I, I just want to give a little background on the race that we met each other at. Was, um, it was a uh, 2019 Silver Heels 100. Um, as you mentioned, it was a tough race. You know, I know it was your first 100. And I got to give you a lot of respect also because not a lot of people would choose not many, if any, would choose uh, Silver Heels 100 as their first 100 mile challenge. Like Silver Heels had the challenge of uh, altitude, right? We we ranged anywhere between the average altitude was over 10,000, and we got as high as 13. Um, and the elevation gain was insane—20,000 feet of gain over the course of 100 miles. So those two those two elements alone in a hundred mile race would deter anyone from choosing that as their first. So kudos to you for doing that as your first and finishing it. But yeah, other than that, I'm, I'm psyched. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I I'm really looking forward to our conversation because I know like I, you, you are focused on leadership and the qualities that people have that make, you know, that make them good leaders, but that also teach, others and so others can learn from so I'm, I'm really i'm really excited about today's conversation 
Yeah, man, me too. Um, I will never forget that race. Um, I'll, I'll remember <laughs> you for my, my entire life. So, um, yeah, so let, let, let's dive in. I have, a, I have a ton of questions. Um, mostly what I want to understand up front is what makes a person like you tick. I want to understand a little bit about your background because I, I like to study human behavior and I figure if we can, you know, understand what's underneath the hood, we can better model it ourselves as, as leaders and essentially as athletes too. Um, cause there is a lot of right. athletes that listen to this, a lot of military as well. Um, so I really want to understand you. And if you could, you know, selfishly, I'm learning from you cause I want to study and get closer <laughs> to my personal greatness, but then the listener will as well. So, you know, let's, let's just dive in a little bit, talk us through like your personal story, you know, where you grew up, maybe just a one okay. and, um, Talk to me what that looked like growing you into you, essentially, like who you are now. Right. So, so I grew up, you know, my, my family was, was never, we weren't, we weren't a, a rich family. <laughs> so, so I, I, I grew up in New York City and um, uh, my brother and I, uh, we, we lived with our, with our parents originally in the Bronx until they, they got divorced. Um, I was six, my brother was seven. Uh, and when they got divorced, our grandparents took custody of us and we lived with our grandparents from then on, um, with our mother. So it was, our grandparents lived in a uh, public housing in, um, in, on, on, uh, Upper East Side in Manhattan. Um, they had two mentally handicapped, uh, daughters who, who are my aunts. Um, so if you could imagine this household, it was, <laughs> It was seven seven members of the family packed into this uh, this four bedroom apartment in, in in a in a public housing project on the on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Um, wow. You know, it it was it was my my brother, myself, our grandparents, um, two mentally handicapped aunts, and my mother, uh, and we lived that way all through you know from from me from six years old to twenty when I was 27. So that was, <clears throat> and the reason we'll, we'll, we'll get into this also, but um, I think, you know, having that upbringing um, or, or living in that situation, it was, it wasn't terrible by any means, you know, like, like our, we, my brother and I, we, we had, we had, we, we had a great life. We had a very loving family. Like, you know, our, our grandparents were, were very loving. Um, my, my grandmother wanted to see us succeed. Right. And uh, I mean, our, my, our grandparents in general wanted to see us succeed. Um, so my, my grandmother, she was particularly um, very strict. <laughs> she knew the kinds of things that go on, um, you know, in, in public housing environment. And she yeah. wanted, you know, nothing more than for my brother and I to avoid that at all costs. So, you know, we, we had friends in the area, but she imposed really strict uh, curfews. <laughs> strict in the sense that we had to be home by 7 p.m. You know, we're, we're like, we're teenagers, right? And she, you know, 14, 15, she's like, no. I don't want you to hang out, you know, late and you're, you're home by 7 PM. And, you know, there, there, there'd be protests, of course, like, Oh, come on, that's not fair. But our friend, you know, so-and-so is staying out till midnight and she's sure. like, I don't care about so-and-so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so there'd, there'd be this constant protest. Right. But it was, it was all, it was all for, she meant well. Right. And, and I'm glad she did that because it's easy. Uh, I shouldn't say easy. It's easier to slip into, you know, some uh, not, fulfilling things in that environment it's very easy to do that right sure, and so absolutely. if you if you if you don't have that encouragement in the background right so i believe i do believe truly believe this comes from a family setting right and 
if you don't have that, or even if, uh, like a, a, a close friend circle setting, if you don't have that in the background, you you can easily fall into something where you know uh, you might not want to, or you might regret later in life. So so that that that's sort of that's sort of the background for myself and for both my brother my brother and I. And being in that situation um, kind of made me want to strive for more. <laughs> uh, I think I think. Our grandparents knew that, you know, we had potential, right? Or, or that we, we, we could strive for better. They, and they wanted us to strive for better, right? Absolutely. And so the, the reason why my grandmother was so strict was because she wanted us to strive for better. Yeah. You know, she, she'd grown up with struggles, right? Um, the family grew up with struggles. It's not easy raising, you know, and to their credit, it's not easy raising two mentally handicapped daughters. And on top of that, Two grandchildren, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's a lot to manage, and and they did it right, and so and so they were selfless, completely selfless about it. So they knew that okay, that was their sacrifice. Their sacrifice was okay. We, you know, we need to make sure that these children are good, you know, and that we do everything to support them, and so that we release them into the world. They're 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 good on their own, right? And not not just myself and my brother, but also their their two daughters, right? So 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 they're they're managing this thing. And it was always in the back of my mind, it was like, all right, we're, we're, we're in the situation where, you know, we're here now, but we have a lot of support from our family to go more than that. Yeah, man. And I, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And ladies and gentlemen, like I, we could close up the podcast right there just on parenting alone, because <laughs> listen, no, what you talk, and it makes complete sense why you and I connect and why I can, why I'm drawn to you because, um, well, I didn't grow up in, in a city environment. I did grow up in a family of six. My oldest brother is handicapped. Our, our household, okay. um, was a little bit stressful, but we were taken care of. We had parents that they pushed us as well. And, right. um, I actually kind of complain about it from time to time. I'm like, why am I always obsessed with giving my absolute best? And I think back to my childhood, my mom always being like, you can do better. You can do better. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so, yeah, you know, no, I, I totally, it's totally true. So I really appreciate you sharing that. And, and you talked about the, essentially the power of an ecosystem, which is a huge point to kind of drive home. And I won't talk about it a lot, but what you're describing is, you know, the difference between growing up, growing up in a negative environment and a positive one. Okay. Um, right. the, the Amazon rainforest is an ecosystem. What happens? Tons of heat, tons of humidity. You get tons of vegetation. Well, the desert is also an ecosystem. And what happens there? Harsh environment, very little life form. So human beings work the same way. So if you're in a negative environment or maybe your kids are in a negative environment or whatever it is, you got to be the, um, almost like the counterforce. You got to, you got to find a way to build out that ecosystem for them so that they can grow into something great. Um, just awesome, awesome introduction there on your personal story. So then now, now fast forward. So you're 27 years right. old and then it's time to kind of switch, switch chapters. Is that kind of what happens? Is it, you mentioned you might've moved out around that time. Well, so, so not quite. So it was, it was, so going back to that time, it was, you know, um, because I was in that environment, because I had the mentality of strive for more, like yeah. don't, don't stay here was was that 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 was that was kind of like it wasn't the explicit message that was the that was what was implied right yeah. it's like it's like we know what kind of environment this is around us but don't you're better than this right yeah. that 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 was that was the implicit message right it was never explicitly said you know hey you got to do this you got to do this you can't end up here you can't end up there that wasn't a, it wasn't as clear cut as that but it was you know all, all, everything that came behind it you know the the implied message was 
we're doing this, you know, for you, for your own good, but, but you, you, you can, you have so much more potential. You can, you can go far above this, right? That was the implied message. Um, so, you know, I took that, you know, I, I took that very, very personally. Um, I strive for better, right? And that, that for me personally, that translated to um, focusing on academia. And I focused a lot on schoolwork. Um, I strive to make it into a good college. Um, so I applied everywhere. And one of those schools I applied to was Princeton. And <laughs> I surprised myself, right? Like, so I get into Princeton and I go there. And again, I focus on academia, like, okay, get into a good school. Got it. You know, I want to get a good job and all, and all this stuff. And it was kind of, it was kind of, um, it was never a question for, for me personally of what I wanted to do. And what I wanted to do was, you know, get a good job, focus on um, achieving a, an X net worth, right? And just like, just like head down, um, just, just like, just grinding, grinding, grinding. So, you know, I, I graduated college. I got a job at Morgan Stanley. Um, I rose, uh, you know, above the ranks and I got to where I was, but I focused on work all the time. <laughs> And I did that because it was, for me personally, that, that was, okay, I, I, you know, I want a better life for myself, but certainly for my family, I want to be able to provide, right? And so it, it, was, always, it was always like one-sided. If you have the spectrum, I was on the one side of the spectrum that was focus on, focus on you know, building personal net worth so I can help everyone around me. Yeah. Um, the reason I left, or I should say the reason I remained with my brother in public housing until I was 20, uh, I was 27 and he was 28, um, was because we still had our grandparents died of, of you know, all, my grandmother died when, uh, I was in high school and our grandfather died when I was in college. And so my brother had made a promise to our grandfather to take care of Jenny and Cindy. Those, those were our mentally handicapped aunts to take care of them. Um, until after, you know, after he passed. And so we, we took care of them for five years after we graduated college to make sure, you know, they had enough time to go into their respective group home, like re permanent residences. Yep. I'm familiar with that. Um, my brother has bounced around from different ones and, um, it's actually one of my, uh, philanthropic adventures that I'm looking to get into is, is starting stuff up like that for your group homes. And, um, so we'll have to talk about that at some point. Cause I think we could probably, you know, create some ideas there, but, um, right. And that's not easy. Like, as you know, that that's not an easy process. It takes every, every person is different. So it's not as easy as identifying, okay, this, th th this, this person, male or female has this disability, we're going to put them over here. That's not, that's not clear cut as that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very, it's a long process. It's difficult. The person, depending on their disability. So for example, my aunt Jenny was a little, I would say um, a higher touch because she was, she is schizophrenic. Um, so, so she, her emotions just go back and forth. Right. And so she might have a period where she's fine for a while, but then it might drift over here. And so to fi finding that good match, that perfect match, that took a long time, took five years. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, there, and there, there's, there's other politically, the, 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 there's other things happening in the background. You're on a wait list, you know, depending on what state you're in, it might, you might just have to wait for, for, you know, for very specific political reasons. Right. And so, when you're off of that waitlist and it's time to actually go, you know, check out the the landscape of okay, which homes have openings, and you go and interview, and maybe maybe the people you interview with might say, okay, based on her personality, we don't think she might be a good fit here with the other residents, you know, and so you have to wait, you have to be patient enough to wait. Um, 
and that's that's so so one you have to be patient but two that that's time out of your day week you know so so you 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 personally have to make time to schedule these appointments yeah right you might have to take time off work and say okay well now i need to take off time to for two hour block to go back home pick up jenny go to this um uh interview at a potential home and then and then just have the conversation and hope that (laughs) hope that this 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 ends up in a in a positive okay let, let's try a trial run where, where you stay here for a weekend and let's see how you do. Right. Yeah, so, sometimes so, it did. Sometimes it didn't. And at this point in time, you know, you're, you're managing a lot, you know, you're managing the household, you and your brother working together on this, you know, the family, um, you know, transition, so to speak. And right. you, know, you got this job that you're, you know, it's very, very demanding. It's not an easy job that you got right there. And so, you know, you're, you're, you're constantly wearing multiple hats and I kind of see you in this chapter as the connective tissue you know, trying to hold everybody together and keep the, the family strong, so to speak. Um, right. that, is, is that accurate? No, that is accurate. And uh, so I should say that I didn't, I didn't bear that 100% on my shoulders. Absolutely. My brother and I, my brother and I, we, we took 50, 50, right? right? So there were times where I couldn't make, I couldn't make, you know, that, that interview or take Jenny to this appointment, but he could, right. Or there were other times where I couldn't do it. Um, sorry, uh, he couldn't do it, but I could. Right. And so, so, so we, 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 we split that responsibility and it wasn't just, um, Jenny, I, I mentioned Jenny because she, she has, uh, she's higher touch. Like she requires more higher, attention, higher care, higher care, yeah. higher, higher care, higher care. Yeah. Um, our aunt Cindy, she's easier. Um, she, uh, she, she doesn't speak and she has, um, you know, on a comparative scale, she has the uh, ability of, I would say, a six-year-old. So, and she's not schizophrenic. So she's, she's very easier to, to work with. Um, so Cindy actually got placed before Jenny. That's not a surprise to me at all. (laughs) Uh, because just because the, the homes that we went to, she wasn't a problem at all. Um, so, so that was that, but I think, I think at this point, it's very important to also, so my brother and I, we did split the, we, we, we split the, uh, uh, the responsibility there. But we were also very different. We had very different life philosophies, right? The one thing we agreed on at that time is we have to do the right thing and take care of Jenny and Cindy before before we venture out into the world. And the reason we have to do that is because our grandparents were they were selfless themselves, right? They gave they gave us their time. They sacrificed a lot to make sure that we were good, right? Like we had a good like footing when we stepped out into the world, right? So because of that reason. We, 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 we have to, you know, in a sense, we have to give back. We have to make sure that we take care of their daughters, right? Yeah. And make sure that they're in good homes before we can actually go out in the world. So, so my brother and I, we, we, we agreed on that. <laughs> but then we differed on other parts, right? So, so me personally, as I mentioned earlier, I, I was focused on, you know, going to a good school, getting a good job, and then just like head down grinding and focusing on, like I worked 80 hours a week, seven yeah. days a week for a yeah. long time because I, I was, I was, I was like, okay, no one in our family has achieved this level of success. And I, I want to do that, right? Yeah. I want to do that to, to make my family proud. I want to do that to be well off for myself personally, but to be able to provide, you know, for my family, right? Financially. Yeah. Um, and like, and like these things, and that's what drove me. That's what motivated me every single day. Right. And, 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 you know, and that didn't change. That didn't change, you know, for, and, and all throughout, you know, of course, we had responsibilities with our aunts and we just managed that on a day-to-day basis. But the overall goal that I had didn't change. Yeah. Now, that was me. <laughs> My brother was different. So he was, he was, so he also, he also had a good job, but 
his focus wasn't work. His focus for, for him and at the time was his fiance was um, experiencing the world. Yeah. Right. Going out and living, living, yeah. living and having real experiences and traveling the world. That was their thing. They saw value in an experience. I saw value in accumulating net worth. Right. Sure. And and so they, they, they would, you know, depending on the job you have, you might have three to four weeks of vacation per calendar year. They made sure to max that out. <laughs> and so it seemed to me at the time that they were always going on to a different place. And at the time, it blew my mind because I thought. I thought, you know, David, this, this is, that's irresponsible, man. <laughs> like, like we're young now. We have to say, we have to do what we can yeah, to build have- that network. Yeah. It needs to work for us. Right. Yeah. Be- before we, before we have enough. So when we build this system and this, in this machine, this machine will continue and we invest responsibly. This machine will continue to generate income so that we can do those things later on. I try yeah. to tell him this. <laughs> and, and then he would tell me like, Mike, it's not, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but it's not about, it's not always about money. You know, like, like you have to go out and live like you, you spending seven days in the office. That's not, that's not one. That's not healthy. And two, like, that's not, that's not really the way you're supposed to live your life. And I was like, I respectfully disagree. Yeah. 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 (laughs) But we were just different in that. How many people can relate to that? You know, being a high achiever, wanting to get a certain outcome, you lose sight of everything else around you. And you do have those people in your lives that kind of tell you either pump the brakes or stop and smell the roses. And you're like, no, 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 I got to go, go, go. Um, And that can cause a lot of ups and downs, you know, and and your story right now, I, I feel like I'm going through a lot of ups and downs, you know, childhood, you know, we were taken care of, but at the same time, it was a little bit stressful. Um, You know, here we are, you know, managing the family we're, we're working with our brother there's there's a push pull between work and home and uh, then we finally get this break we accomplish a goal and um what happens next year you know you get the you get your family members into a home and then what happens next year you're, you're morgan stanley still and your brother's kind of encouraging you to hey man spend some more time and um you know in, in experiencing life what happens next so that was a big life change for us i was 27 david was 28 and we had, you know, we, we had uh, Jenny and Cindy placed in their homes. Everything was good. They, you know, they went through the original, um, you know, the initial uh, interview process, which was uh, stay there for a weekend. And then they had a trial, trial basis where they had to stay there for an extended period before you actually, you know, sign papers saying, okay, this is your, this is your, you know, this is your permanent home. You're staying here. And then before you go, you have to go through the trial period. And so we went through that and they were there in their respective homes that was a big, that was a big moment in our lives because this meant for the first time, <laughs> I, I only ever knew that apartment that I grew up in, yep. you know, for 27 yep. years. Now I was, now I was going out and like on my own. Right. Yeah. And so that was a big deal. Um, my brother, uh, and his fiance, they, they had a, um, they, they, they bought a condo in Jersey city. So that's where they lived. Um, they both worked in, in Manhattan, but they lived in Jersey city. So if you're familiar with that geography, Jersey City is not too far from Manhattan. This is just train right over the over the Hudson. Um, and uh, and I, I got an apartment on in in uh, East Harlem on 124th and Second. And let me tell you, <laughs> this was this was like it was an, it was it was a new building, like a, a luxury building. Um, this was a step up from where I had grown up, right? And so like this building was nice, and yeah. and like I I did that for. You know, because I figured, okay, like I, I worked a long time to to actually now to actually start to have some nice things, right? So yeah. I figured 
okay, well, you know, this is, uh, it's a little higher than, you know, no, what I would normally pay if I just got a regular one bedroom somewhere, but, but no. <laughs> so, so I, so I got, I got a nice, n- nice place on 124th and, you know, and then we, my, David and I, we continue to live our lives, right? Um, he was in Jersey city with now, now his, now his wife, because they, they had gotten married okay. uh, after, after we tied those loose ends. I don't mean to call them loose ends. That's that's not that's not a great. That's a bad term. I, I say you just um, I, accomplished a goal. You accomplished a goal that you guys after we accomplished. Towards. Yes, when and we were we were working towards that for five years. And actually, like, when we accomplished that, it was it was we now we were ready to to like start our lives, right? Start yeah. our lives in a sense. Um, sure. And 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 they got married. Um, they had a surprise surprise a destination wedding, right? <laughs> that didn't surprise <laughs> me at all. They they got married in Jamaica, and I'm like at the time like. Destination wedding, huh? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I, I'm still thinking the way that I think, right? Yeah, and I'm like, thinking traditional, you, like, you could, yeah. You could, this could have been like 90% cheaper. <laughs> if you just got married at a church here in the city, you wouldn't have to spend like thousands of dollars to go yeah. here, but whatever, I right, find. <laughs> I, I like this. I like this dynamic between you and your brother of you being very like process driven, you know, outcome based, and him, him on the being the contrast, kind of like, little more free spirited and experiment, you know, experience based. I, I really like that a lot. I can relate to it because I have a younger brother that uh, yeah. we're, we're polar opposites too. And there's probably somebody that's listening that, that knows that that sibling <laughs> rivalry and how that can complement. but he's also kind of like introducing some life philosophy to you. It's kind of what I'm catching yeah. on. And this probably carries you into the game of hundos, which we'll get into in a little bit, but so, but keep, keep going and let me just, you know, carry it. Let's transition from this, don't miss any details that are important. And then let's talk about how this propels you specifically. I think the brother is what's going to end up projecting you. Is his name David, by the way? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, his, so David, um, I, I imagine my gut is telling me that David's going to end up kind of being a reason that you end up doing these hundred milers, or at least maybe somewhere in there, he kind of, he kind of helps you out along the way. Um, so kind of talk us through that and tell me if I'm right or wrong on it. You're not incorrect there. <laughs> in fact, you're, t- you're totally right. And so it was, and, and, and you bring up a good point because um, it was during those times, like, like going to his wedding in Jamaica, right. Was, was, go- first of all, th- this is, this, this is how, how much I did not travel. I, I didn't have a passport. I had no means to get into Jamaica. So when I hear the news that, and, and uh, look, I, I'm, I'm 28. Right. And I still haven't left the country. So yeah. it was, it was, uh, <laughs> it was when I heard the news that he was getting married in Jamaica, I thought to myself, okay, I'll just get a plane ticket. And then I realized, wait a minute, that's, that's out of the car. I need, do I need a pass? And I text him back. I'm like, hey, do, do I need a passport for this? And he's like, yeah, don't you have a passport? And I'm like, uh, I'll, I'll work on that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, just totally, bad <laughs> totally just in your own little box in life. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's okay. like, you need, hey, guess what? You want to leave the country? Here's some things you need to do. And I, I, I hadn't done those things. And, um, and so I did those things. Obviously, I got the passport and and then went there. And so that's the first time I'm out of the country. Would I have done that on my own uh, volition? No, not absolutely not. But when I was there, I I actually appreciated the time that I was there because now I'm looking around like, man, this is really nice. <laughs> I'm in my own bubble in New York City, but this is really cool. Um, and that was that, right? Because it, it, it never, it never like I was able to enjoy the experience while I was there. Yeah. But it never like that seed. There was nothing planted in me at that time, or maybe maybe there was. Maybe, maybe I'm maybe I'm talking too soon. But there, there, when I had come back home, what I should say is there was no. I didn't have this urge to go back out 
right? To go back out to like another country, another part of the world. Yeah. I didn't have that there, but that no. seed, that seed was, was planted. I knew what it was like now. Right. You increase your context, but there was no like wake up moment like of, Hey, right. I should be out exploring and doing things. Okay. Keep going. So, um, so then I'm, I'm 28, um, uh, at this point and my brother and, and his wife, you know, they, they had a, um, they had a condo in Jersey city, right. But their dream was to always go to move out to San Diego in California. Um, and the reason I say dream is because they, they, they had, they visited San Diego when they were both in college. Uh, my brother went to Binghamton university, um, and upstate New York. And, and, and so did his, his wife. And they, they took, they took trips, you know, this, this, this whole, this whole like life, uh, philosophy of just going experience for them started fairly early. And so they were traveling when they were in college also, but, um, they had visited San Diego and that's one of the places that really stood out to them. And they, they told themselves, you know, one day we're, when we have everything, when we've accomplished our, you know, our, our, our goals early, like we want to go and move out to San Diego. And so they did. Um, and this was in uh, 2011, 2011, they, they are the end of 2011. They go and move out to San Diego. And I remember thinking at the time, wow, that's crazy. We, <laughs> dude, we, <laughs> Well, for both of you, you grew up in like Northeast. You're going to California. You don't know anything about California. A whole, whole other planet over there. It's a whole different planet. Whole, what are you doing? And what blew me away was they, they both moved there yeah. without having like a solid like plan. Of, of, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Where, yeah, you're like, where's, where's, where's the three to five year plan, David? Where's it at, man? Come on. What's going on like, here? What's is- going on? What yeah. is going on? So, so, so Dave, so he moved, they both moved out there. David, you know, he, 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 he ended his, his, uh, his employment at, at, um, uh, the job that he had here. And it was, um, uh, he was a manager for an office leasing company and he just said, gave us two weeks one day and that was it. And I'm like, wait a minute, you don't have a job at in San Diego. Yeah. He's like, no, not yet, but I mean, we'll find something is, it's, you know, so whatever happens, happens. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you yeah. talking about? I never moved to like a foreign area without having a plan. Like, what are you talking about? But they did it. And, you know, they made it work. Um, they both found jobs, uh, you know, within like a month or two. And that was it. They, they were living their lives in San Diego. Now, you know, at the time, of course, because I have, I've got this very, I've got this very like rigid track of where I want to be, you know, like, yeah. all right, I want to make it to here by, by this age. I want to make it to, to, to this level. You know, at this age, I want to have this level of net worth by this age. Like I just had that. And yep. in my mind and nothing else around me, like really, truly mattered. But that, of course, like family mattered and sure. things like that. And, but, but I, I mean, like for personal goals, that sure. was like number one. And I, and I focused, I focused on that. And that's what I did. Um, and, you know, David and his wife, and they, they were out in San Diego. And I, I just thinking at the time, like, man, I don't know how you can do that. Where, just up, up and left. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> they rented out their condo in uh, in Jersey City, and they found a tenant who was responsible, and that's a very good thing. <laughs> um, so they didn't have to really worry about that. And so they were out in San Diego, starting their new lives. And I, was, it was so to me, it was it was like it was adventurous, a very adventurous thing to do. But at the same time, I'm like I don't know how you can, how anyone could just like up and leave like that. Yeah. Um, and then from from that point on, they would still go out and travel. Like that was traveling was very and experiencing the world is a very big part of both their both their lives and not just traveling but going to new restaurants trying new foods and and things like that things they never tried before was like a very big part of um, 
very big goal of theirs, right? Trying a new food, trying a new cuisine, things like that. But me personally, I stick with what works, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, like there was, <laughs> for, for, for example, um, you know, I, 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 I would work a lot, but during the week, I would eat dinner at work because like, I, <laughs> that's how late I would, I, would, I would stay at work. You know, I would stay until eight or nine. Yeah. Um, but when, when I ordered dinner, at work, it was the same dinner every night. Like I, I had a chicken chicken sandwich that I loved from this place, uh, two blocks away from from where I worked in Midtown Manhattan, and it was just amazing. And for me, that was simple, right? It was like, okay, I know this is good, I know I like it, so rinse and repeat every day. That's what I had for dinner. It was just like it was, there, there was no desire for me to try anything else. I'm like, I already found what I like, and it's streamlined, it's efficient. You know, when when six thirty hits or when seven seven p.m. hits, I'm like, oh, I'm hungry hit the button and get the order. And then I'm, I'm, you know, back on focusing on work. That, that was just, that was just the, that was the cadence, right. That, 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 that I had eventually that I developed. Um, and things happened that way uh, until 2013. And, you know, I, I get up for work um, in the morning and I see uh, a missed call and I'm like, okay. So I leave, I leave my phone on, on silent. And so yeah. I, I saw a missed call from like half hour ago. I'm like, Okay, what is this? And it was it was my mother, and I'm, I was like, I just thinking how strange this was that she'd be calling me at like you know five thirty in the morning. I'm like, what is what? <laughs> it didn't. And so there was a miss message, uh, a message also, and I listened to the message first because I I thought that's a really strange time to to call and and leave a message right yeah. to that early in the morning. Yeah, your guts probably whatever. Some, you're, I mean, I whenever I've gotten those type of phone calls, my gut sinks. It's like something. Yeah. I'm actually getting kind of nervous. Like, okay, keep going. So I knew, I knew that it was something that wasn't, it was atypical. Right. And so I was like, okay, we've got to listen to this. Like, what, what is this? So I didn't call her back at first. I listened to the message and she's crying. She's like, I, you know, like, uh, she's trying to get the message out and, and she couldn't really get it out. Right. And so, um, my stepfather, so they both, my mother and my stepfather, they live in Long Island. And my stepfather just gets on the phone and he's like, he just says it, right? He's like, Mike, David's dead. And I'm, and I, I'm like, what the, what? And, and, you know, he continues, oh to, he was, he was very, he was oh, very straightforward. Shit. My mom was trying to tell me, you know, it wasn't really coming out. I, I'm like, I couldn't understand. I'm like, wait, accident. What, what, like what accident? And, you know, Ron, my stepfather just comes out. And he's like, Mike, Mike, David's dead. You know, oh he's cars, riding his bike to work. And he's dead. And I was just like, I was frozen. Yeah. Right. Oh because I was like, David was my best friend. You know, yeah. we grew up, we've been through things <laughs> and I'm getting this message. So I didn't, I couldn't believe it. Right. So at first it was disbelief. I'm like, he's not dead. He's probably, he's probably like, they, they don't know what's going on. Like my parents are very, they're just dramatizing this thing. All right. From what I gathered, there was an accident. Maybe he's in the hospital, like on a, you know, on a hospital bed somewhere like recovering and and they're just being they're just being dramatic like that's one that's what that's what that was my immediate thought sure. <laughs> it's just like no he's not dead what are you talking about he's dead what? he's 29 years old what are you talking about like he no i don't i don't believe that like was was like, I, I was stunned by the message but and you know and a little bit in disbelief so i call back right and i'm like i'm like hey what's what's going on i just heard like what do you mean what i and you know they go into it further and they're telling me more details. And they said, you know, 
they had gotten the news from um, their David's wife, um, Evelyn. So she she had gotten the news first. And what makes it what makes the story like for her even worse is she didn't know about it until gosh, 13, 14 hours after it happened. Oh so, so she, she, so just to give you the background on, on what happened, um, David was uh, riding his bike to, to work. So he, he, he'd gotten into, um, he gotten into the habit of being more fit, you know, having, doing more exercise every, um, just like, just to, to be a fitter person. Right. And yeah. so, so one, one of those ways that he did it was buying a bike and, and riding it to work. I think he had a 15 mile, is it either a 12 or 15 mile bike ride to work in one San way Diego, in San Diego is what in San about, Diego. Right? Yeah. And so, and so round trip, it would be every day, 24 to, to 30 miles, yeah. which is a pretty decent bike ride. Um, yep. And he would do that every day. And so he did that for fitness. He did that to, you know, to, to also save money on, on a gas and a car it's like no this this is this is the way to go kind of thing um and so that's what he did but one morning he's riding his bike to work it's it's 7 10 a.m and you know the sun is still rising and as it rises <clears throat> there's you know he, he's riding his bike over balboa avenue um near an exit and there was just a there was there was a driver who had the sun in her eyes um and she didn't see david to her right um and she she hit him so she didn't hit him uh head on or, or from behind she 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 clipped him from like on 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 his shoulder right Just, or, or not, not his shoulder like his shoulder side from here um but that was enough to knock him into incoming traffic and so he was subsequently hit by by several cars um, he, so he passed away on the site. Um, there was, you know, <clears throat> I'm so sorry, dude. You know, what, what, it, it happened all in an instant, right? Just, yeah. just reading, reading the reports, reading uh, witness accounts. Um, it just happened very fast. And I, I would never yeah. look at, I will never look at 7, 10 a.m., I'll never look at it the same ever again. Um, it just, it just, it just hits. Right. And so like, I didn't, th these are details that I had learned subsequent. Right. I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't have these details the morning I heard the news. Sure. Um, and actually the morning I heard the news was a day after the accident happened. So I'm just telling you, I'm just go going over the timeline here. Yeah. Um, so, so he, he had, he, this accident happened on a Thursday and I didn't find that until like that Friday. And so the reason why it happened, so he has this accident um, and, you know, his, his wife is at work and you know, authorities are trying to figure out the situation, right? Trying to figure out who is this, who is this person trying to ID the person, my, my brother, right? Um, <clears throat> and then they're trying to get in contact with, with anyone, right? Who, who knows this person? Yeah. Um, and because, because they were still relatively new in San Diego, they didn't, they didn't really have like a lot of, you know, contact points. You know, didn't know where he was headed, didn't know, you know, they, 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 they had like his information from his wallet, but they didn't really know like where he was headed and like, you know, all these things. His wife didn't, didn't find out 
until later on that night when, you know, she comes home from work and she realizes it's getting kind of late. Like, where's David? You know, she, she you know, she, she should be here, but she's calling his phone. It's going to voicemail. She's like not understanding what, what, what's going on exactly. Um, and then, and then she starts to get worried because now it's getting later. Like it's like eight or 9 PM and he still isn't, he still isn't home. And she's, <laughs> her, her initial reaction was getting upset because she thought maybe he went out with uh, some friends after work and maybe, yeah. you know, uh, stayed out a little too late and yeah. left his phone off or something like that. And she's like leaving messages like, Hey, what's going on? Give me a call back. Like, are you out with friends? Like, like it's not cool. You got to give me a call. Look what time it is. Um, until, until eventually she, she got a call from like a detective. So it, I don't know why it took, yeah, it took, it, it took all that time to figure out who exactly to, to, to call, to tell, Hey, this accident happened and this person is no longer with us but it took until like 10 PM that night. And so she had gotten the call and she, the moment the person identified themselves as detective. So-and-so she knew something was, she knew something was not right. Yeah. And so, you know, she got that news. She called my, my, uh, my parents. Um, they got the news and then my parents, they, they called me. So, so I knew that this, this like this relay of information. Um, and now keep in mind it, California is a three hours difference, right? So when she's calling my parents, it's in the middle of the night for them. And they're trying to figure out what the heck is going on too, you know? And so they call me and they leave a message. And so this is like information that's relayed, relayed, right? And so I'm thinking when I first heard the message that morning, I thought, okay, uh, no, no, it's not, that can't be. Dave is not dead. What are you talking about? (laughs) Um, But it was true. He was, and it, it, it was heavy. It was, it, it was really heavy. Cause I, I, I had seen, I had thought of David and myself as we were a team, right? He was my best friend. We'd been through things. We grew up and like, we were a team because we had seen, like, we made sure we grew up where we grew up. We made, we took care of our aunts. We made sure that they were in, in good homes. And, and like, and like he's, he was my, he was my teammate. Right. And then all of a sudden he's gone. And so it was really, it was really heavy. I was angry for a long time, like for that, for that year, I would say after he died in 20, in, uh, um, 2012. And so like for the, in, in, uh, in March and for the rest of the year, like I was, I was really, I was like, of course, you know, I'm still going to work. I'm still like, you know, focusing on work, but I was angry. You know, I was like, I don't understand how a person like this can just, can just go right. David was a role model to me. He's very outgoing. He's very, he's very good person, right? He was the kind of person that would like light up a room and that's not an exaggeration. He would literally light up a room. He knew how to do that. And he knew how to make people feel good about themselves. And he was a great conversationalist and he was just a very selfless person, you know, for to him to personally put off his life, his marriage and his life goals to take care of, you know, our aunts, Jenny and Cindy, that, that's a very self selfless thing to do. Right. Yeah, for, for that, for that, for that long. So he taught me by way of example, you know, he's like, no, Michael, we've got to do this thing. We made a promise to our grandfather. And I thought, yeah, you're right. He, so he taught me, right? And so I, 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 I'm looking at his actions and thinking like, man, so, you know, if he can do something like that, like, of course, of course, I can, I can, sacri- I can make the, the, a similar sacrifice too. Because um, I, I did remember thinking at the time after graduating college, like, oh, man, this is not fair. Like, you know, everyone else doesn't have this thing that they have to do. And here's this thing that we have to do. And it's like, it's like not fair, these cars that we were dealt. And that, that, those are the feelings that I had initially. 
But then David made me see it the other way. Yeah. You know, he's like, no, 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 not, no. Like, don't, no. We, 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 we have a, we have a commitment. We, we made a promise to, to our grandfather. We got to keep that promise. And, you know, we can't run off until Jenny and Cindy are in the homes that they deserve to be in. Right. And, um, and so that's what we did. He taught me that. And so he's a very good person. Like he's a very good influence on me and he's gone. And so I, I, you know, I couldn't believe it. I was very angry that year. Um, and so, and so that, that's, that, that's how, that's how it progressed. Right. It was kind of like my best friend is gone. I'm still going to work. Um, but one important thing that I, that, that I left out of this conversation, like intentionally is that, yes, he was biking to work uh, like every morning, but he was also training to run his first marathon. And, um, he, he and his wife were training to uh, run their first marathon. And I, you know, at the time I remember thinking like, I knew this and I remember thinking, wow, that's, I, I was impressed by that because I knew personally I couldn't run that distance. Right. Like, I would, I would run five miles and then the back of my knee would start to hurt. Like I would have like an IT band issue Yeah. and it never, it always came up. It, like the five mile mark for me was where that was, where that happened. And it, like the back of my right knee would start to hurt. And I just thought to myself, you know what? I'm probably not biomechanically able to, to do this, or to run long distance. And that's fine. Like I, I can accept that. And then when he told me that his goal was to run a marathon, I thought, holy mo, that's <laughs> wow. Okay we're related. <laughs> like we have the same makeup. Like if I yeah. can't do it, like you sure? Like, okay. Yeah. You right. so, automatically, you know, pro, uh, projected your insecurities onto him. Right. Yes. 100%. Cause I thought, all right, we're, we're, we're cut from the same cloth, bro. I, yeah. <laughs> you want to run this 26? Like I, I, I tried to run long distance and for, yeah, I can't. And, uh, and so I thought, I thought, wow, that, that was, I respected that. I respected that, you know, uh, like, like, a. Uh, like a lot. And I thought, and you know, anyone who ran the marathon distance, I respected because I yeah. thought that was a superhuman thing. I, I really legitimately thought that was a superhuman thing. I, I had known just a, just a handful of people who had run marathons. And I, and it's like at the time, like at that time, my mentality was, holy smokes, you ran 26 miles. Cause I know that I couldn't run past five without having pain. And I, I was like, man, I can't, that kudos to you, man. That's, I, I highly respect that. I respect you as an individual for having the dedication and the follow through because I can't do that. Right. So that's what I thought. So this, the, and you know, what I'm seeing too is, you know, this pain essentially turned it into power and, um, it, it, it all line is starting to line up now in my eyes and God, man, thank you so much for sharing that story. And I'm so sorry, you know, that I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of you for how you've turned out because of that. And since that, um, you know, you and your brother, you guys went to war your whole life. Okay. And I, I like to say, when you build teams, you build teams off of hard times and humor, you know, that's when you bond the most. And, um, right. for you to, you and him to go through your guys's journey, you, you know, you guys essentially were at war the entire time. And then, um, you know, one of you guys doesn't come home. And when that happens, you know, with guys in the military, you see, you see people just go down this negative spiral, that anger that you talked about. They just never let go of it. And the next thing you know, it's one thing after the next and the whole life falls apart. And so for you to, for you to go through that and um, find the silver lining and, and just, and, and turn it around and be where you're at now. Um, 
that's just another layer of respect that I have for you. And I think everybody that's listening right now, you know, you should take everything he just said and, and think about your own situation. And are you sitting back saying, Oh, poor is me. Oh, woe is me. Or are you, you turning it around to turn that pain into power because you can. And, and what we're going to find out here shortly is that this yin and yang scenario that we have with the, the brother and our family, um, you, know, you know, there's probably some arguments in the household too, right? You go left, I go right, the type of thing. And that this yeah. contrast and this feud and this, um, and this love, it all kind of came together and through this horrific event propelled you to try to do something that, I mean, less than 0.1%. I don't, I don't know how many people have ever completed 100, 100 milers. Um, but you're in the top 0.1%, if not the top 0.01% of humanity on the entire globe. And for you to be able to take this pain and turn it into that outcome, and, and not just because it's a significant achievement, but because you turned it into something productive and as a, as a, as what it really did is it, was a, it almost looks like a way for you to honor your brother and you, know, you, you paid respect to him. And that's even more profound and, and, and respectful than completing the hundred, hundred miles in my mind, you know, right. you, 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 so I'm just, I'm blown away. And I just want to say thanks for sharing that. And everybody should sit back and ref reflect on that story um, and what it's caused you to do moving forward. Um, so I'm, yeah, man, I'm really proud of you and for turning finding that silver lining and, and making something incredible out of it um, and honoring your brother. You know? Thank you. So, so now talk me through that, that trajectory. So, um, he, his, his, you know, David essentially introduces this idea of a marathon into us. Um, we have this tragic event that happens in the family. He passes away. Um, and then what happens next and how do we get into the game of hundros hundos and yeah. then talk through what that it actually was in detail. Cause everybody's dying to know little right. more about that. And then we can talk about some of the ups and downs of, of going through that journey. So I like this theme that you introduced of turning pain into power, because that's exactly what it is. And I have it, I hadn't thought about it in that way, but you're right. That's exactly what it is, right? That's an energy. Pain is an energy and we can focus that energy in a different way. We can focus on it as pain and let it like eat away at us, or we could like focus it somewhere else. When I when I, I knew he was I knew he was training to run his first marathon. I was in pain for that year, for all of 2012. I was angry. I was really angry. For you know, for I was and, and irritable and just like things would like set me off, you know, yeah. because I had in the back of my mind, I'm like, no, David, like, how did this thing happen? He's such a good person. Um sometime in 2013, uh, when you know, and you've got to go through those motions, right? It's 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 very, it's very hard to say. No, don't be angry. Like, no, think about it like that. You can tell people that, but you know, guess what? It's pro it's probably not going to sink in. That that person has to go through those 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 motions, right? And so I went through those motions, but then I eventually realized, um, to your point, turning pain into power. David wouldn't have wanted this, right? Like for me personally, he wouldn't want me to like sulk in my feelings and just like be upset, right? And I thought, it's okay. They, they, you know, it just one day it just it just like hit me where this isn't this isn't the uh, just being angry all the time isn't isn't how I should be um, remembering him right and and I thought I thought really hard and it hit me on his one year anniversary of, of his death um, in 2013 March 
uh, March 22nd, 2013 is when, you know, I'm, I'm reflecting, you know, all these emotions come back. I'm like, oh man, this is one year anniversary. I write a post, you know, like how much I, you know, I love you, David, I miss you. And then, and then it, and then it really sunk in like after that, like, this isn't what he would want you to do, right. To just like sulk in these feelings. You have to do, you have to do more, right. Yeah. To, to, to uh, certainly to honor. And if he meant so much to you, which he did, and he still does, you have to do more to, to honor his, his memory, um, to honor his spirit and, and really the person he, he was right. And so that's, it started from there because I, I asked myself, you know, what could I do to honor David's memory? Right. The good energy, the good person that he was, I certainly don't want to like have that dissipate and never heard of again. Right. Or, or to only just only mention it once a year on the anniversary of his death. Right. That's yeah. not, that's not, yeah, I could do that, but that wouldn't do his memory justice because he was such a good person. He had so much to offer, right. Certainly to me, but certainly also to the world. So then it started from there to, to, to your point, turning that pain into, to, to power is essentially what it was. I wanted to turn his, the memory of who he was um, into a positive energy, a positive source of inspiration. So he, so I, and then I thought, what could I do? I don't know. What could I do? And I, and I realized I thought back to, well, he was training for his marathon, right? Maybe I could train for the marathon completed for him. Um, and I thought I knew that was going to be a huge undertaking for me because I, I just, just put, just going through in my mind, like, okay, well now I have to put in the hours for training. I work along, I work like 12, like 10, 12 hours a day. How am I going to do that? Where am I going to fit those? But I, but I did. And, and I would, I, <laughs> I would work, run eventually what I called midnight miles. And so like, I would come home from work, you know, change. And then, like and then that. because I knew, I knew I had to, okay, what, what's this, right? I certainly can't run 26 miles on a dime, right? I got to put in the training. You got to put in the training. Um, and so, you know, I, 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 uh, I had a training plan and I worked, you know, I, I still worked in 10, 12 hours a day. And sometimes I would come home exhausted, but I realized if I don't get in these miles, I'm not going to finish this marathon or I'm not, I'm not going to have the performance that I want in this marathon. I'm doing this for David. So like, I got to make sure I get in these miles. Right. So some, 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 some days I would come home from work, um, you know, early enough to run the miles. And then, you know, I'm in bed by 11, 11 PM, 1130. Everything's great. Some, some days I had late days at work, you know, guess what? I'm coming home at 11 and I'm like, Oh man, I got to put in these miles still. Like I, I, there's a plan and I, and I, I need to execute this plan. And so I, I called them midnight miles and they, they were midnight miles because I would start them around midnight and I would, I would run the mileage and come home. Sometimes it would be 2 a.m. Um, when I would finish and then, you know, take a shower, get some sleep, wake up four hours later, go to work. But yep. I, th- that was a goal, right? That was a commitment that I made. Um, and when, when it was, and I was training for the New York city marathon. Um, and when it happened, I ran it and I ran, I ran, I ran, the, the time target that I want. I was, I was on cloud nine. Um, I finished the race. It was such an emotional experience for me because I, I did it for David. I had enough follow through for it. And I completed something that I thought legitimately thought for years for a very long yeah. time that I could not do. And I thought, Holy crap. Yeah, sorry, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. You broke through it. I know that you broke through a, a limitation, a belief. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I honestly thought I was just not mechanically able Right. Yeah. Like physically people who run marathons, just they're born with different structures, a different, a different, their bones, muscles, and ligaments are yeah. structured in a way that allows them to go that distance that and sustain that endurance for that long. 
and my bones and muscles and ligaments are not structured in that way. And that's totally cool. Like I, I, I thought that for a long time. And then when I crossed that line, yeah, so, so I love to use that experience because because people assume, oh, you, you, you know, you did this thing. You probably were running all of your life. And, and I say, no, quite the opposite. No, I didn't become a runner until much later in life because yeah. I honestly thought I couldn't run. And they're like, yeah, what? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, no, that's true. And so, you know, New York City, that's 2015, um, you know, run the New York City Marathon. I do this thing and I'm on cloud nine. I'm like, oh my God, uh, did it for David. It was a big emotional experience. And then, and then you kind of do it, right? And it, it led me to believe, to, to actually know that the, these limitations that we set in our minds are just, are exactly that. They're just limitations that we set in our minds. They're, they're, not, they're not real limitations. It's all up here. Fake. And so it's completely, completely manifested. Like those limitations, not, it's not something that is actually stopping you. You're stopping yourself. And so, and so I run the marathon and, and, you know, it's a great experience. I did it for David and it was, and I was, and I'm and now messaging everyone. I'm like, Oh my God, you know, I did it for David. Like, yo, we did it. We did it. And so like, you know, I we spoke about it in we, right. So at the time it was like, we did it, David and I did it. And, yeah. and so I go back to work Monday morning. Right. So, you know, um, the marathon, the marathon, the marathon's on a Sunday. Like you run the marathon, and I go to work, and of course my legs feel destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they feel absolutely destroyed, you know. And I'm like, um, but it was a good, it was a good pain. It wasn't like, oh my god, I can't walk, you know, like something's wrong. No, no, no. It was like it was a good pain, you know. And so I remember going to the. Um, now I had thought the marathon on the, the marathon is it, New York Roadrunners, uh, you know, holds the marathon, and and I thought that was their like their event of the year, the final event. Yeah. And so, and so I, I, I thought after that, there's nothing, but I went on the calendar anyway, because I want, or I go to the website. Cause I want to see like the times, like where I stacked up, you know, against like, you know, age group and like over all those like stats. Right. Cause I'm like, I'm a, I'm a numbers guy. Right? So I want that data. And I'm like, okay, where, where, where did I, where did I stack up? Yeah. And, and you like to do your best. So it's like, let me see <laughs> exactly. how I size up against everybody. Okay. Hundred percent. So it's not you know like you do this thing, you put in the time, you put in the work, you execute it, you finished it. Now you want to see what you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that that that. So I get the data. You know, I'm downloading it and I'm playing around with the data in Excel. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. Looking at my splits and you know, at the time, New York Roadrunners gave you, uh, I think every five k split they gave you, which I thought was fantastic because it allows you to compartmentalize all of it. Right. And I'm like, you're I'm going laughing because you're a numbers guy. And of course you love it for those other reasons, but you also love it because you like the data. So keep, no, keep dude. And so, and so this is happening. Right. And I remember when I'm pulling the data, they, now they're advertising just like any other website, they're advertising their other races, like on the side, on the right side of their yeah. webpage. And one of the races they advertise is something called the, um, the New York road Roadrunners 60 K right. Which was in two weeks. Or I guess from that point, it would have been in uh, 12 days because it was on the Saturday, two weeks following the Sunday marathon. And so I'm like, 60K, what the hell is that? And I'm like doing the math quickly. And I'm like, wait a minute, there's 60K something is... Yeah, there's something bigger than a marathon? What the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, wait, that's 37.2 miles? No, no way. And, and so I click on it and I'm reading more information and they're like, yeah, it's 37.2 miles. And I'm like, what, where, where is this course? Yep. Like the marathon is 26 miles. It's a huge city effort, you know, 
because at the time I thought I, I'm being naive, right? Like I'm thinking, oh my God, all races are like a giant loop or like a, you know, a point to point. I'm not thinking like you actually have races where people run in loops, right? I, yeah, I do not, yeah. I do not think that at all because the whole, like the whole ultra marathon scene did not exist to me. I didn't even know about that. I thought, I thought 26.2 miles is the most that people like that is, that's the limit of human yeah. endurance. That's what mm-hmm. I thought because, because you kind of, you know, you, you, you um, like sensationalize this story of the first marathon, right? And, and, you know, details of the first marathon account are not entirely, you know, true. Like the, 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 the story that gets perpetuated is that, sure. you know, yeah, you, you put but, it on a pedestal. It, I mean, guys, you put it on a pedestal. guys do the same thing with special operations. They put, they, they say, 100%. guys, they get into soft, you're superhuman. It's this thing. It's untouchable. It creates a lot of performance anxiety. And then you get there and you're yes. like, the ceiling yes. lifts off your head. You're like, holy shit, I can do more. <laughs> and there is more because that, that level goes deeper too. Yeah. hundred percent. Dude, you're hitting the nail on the head. That's exactly what it is. And so because the story of the first marathon is so sensationalized, you're thinking, oh, my God, it's so far up here. If I can do it, wow, that's it. That's like that's that's it. That's the top of the top. But then you do it and you realize like that, you know, maybe I was capable of more. So so looking looking at this uh, advertisement for the 60K was really intriguing to me. You know, because one, I, I wondered, oh my God, there's something higher than the marathon. That's crazy. And then two, I wondered, where is it? How, how could they hold an event like that? And I didn't even know about it. Yeah. And then I realized, you know, as as I researched more, not a lot of people do it. So that's why I didn't know about it. Because <laughs> because the, the number of people that did it that in the prior year, because I did some research on it, was fewer than 200. So there you go. Like New York City Marathon is an event that that. Is the, is the largest marathon in the world, has yeah. 50,000 plus participants every year and it's growing. Yep. And, and that's why you know about it is because it's so big. I, I, you know, an event that has fewer than 200 people, you're probably not going to hear about. It. So that's why I didn't know about it. And, and, and the second question was, where? Where is this thing being held? And it was in Central Park. And then it hit me like, wait a minute, Central Park is only 6.2 miles, the loop, like the giant loop. What are they doing loops at Central Park? Because that sounds that sounds horrendous. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. exactly what it was. That is exactly what it was. And I'm like, <laughs> this sounds terrible. All on pavement. You have the Harlem Hill, and <laughs> everything is relative, right? Because Harlem Hill is is maybe like a hundred a hundred and fifty feet of gain. That's it, yeah, you know. Yeah. But but when you're running, it, it feels like it feels really really tough. Right. And, and, and I laugh about it now because we did we do things like silver heels where we're climbing 20,000 feet. Right. <laughs> and then in complaining about complaining about a hundred foot hill. It's just funny. Right. Yeah, and, um, yeah. and so like just to fast forward, um, I was intrigued enough to sign up for it and I signed up for it and I did it. And up until that point, that was the hardest thing I had ever done. Right. And I completed the 37.2 miles. You know, again, I had the influence of my brother, you know, everything, every the, the post that I wrote about the, um, the, the training and like a little training montage leading up to it. But it was, it was, you know, David was my inspiration for, for again, doing this thing. Right. And it, it, it's about, it's about for me, preserving his, his, his memory and showing people, okay, David had such a positive influence on me that he still positively influences me. And, you know, it helps me believe that I can achieve higher and greater. And, and that's, that's exactly what I wanted to do. And so, and so I did it. And again, I'm on cloud nine, right? This is like 37.2 miles. Didn't know that I could do this thing. And so at this time, looking at races on, on the, on the calendar in New York, like the tri-state area was the only thing that I knew that was my world was like this little, 
you know, like New York City. And it, 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 did, it, didn't, it didn't dawn on me that there are races all over the country, all over the world in beautiful areas until I started digging more into this ultra marathon thing, yep. right? Because once you do your first, then, then you start to wonder like, huh, is there, is there anything, is there anything higher than, than the there's 37 levels, miles? There's levels of this. No, hundred percent. So, and of course there, there, there was to go through the whole cycle again. I, I complete the race and I'm very proud of myself for completing the race. Get to work on Monday and you know, like I'm working, but it's in the back of my mind. I'm thinking, man, that was, that was very hard. That was very hard. But is there, is there more, right? I start looking for distances higher than 37 miles. And I, and I find, I found the hundred mile and I thought, what? That's yeah. insane. Are you crazy? Yeah. And I couldn't, I couldn't. And I'm reading, I'm like, I got to know more. And I'm reading, and I'm, you know, um, looking at race reports, just like random race reports on hundred miles. And, and P- individuals are talking about going 24, 30 hours, 36 hours, overnight experiences, hallucinating, you know, go, go, like dehydrating, like, um, just like, just like feeling faint or not getting enough calories. And I'm like, that, what, what is, what is this craziness? And there's something wrong with me because this sounds awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I I was legitimately thinking this is not, how do people do this? And again, again, like that idea of setting the limitations on yourself. I was doing, I did that. Like I, I, I already did that. So for the hundred miler, I thought I can't do that. Like that's not, again, this is, reserved for a special few that are physically capable of doing this. And at the time I didn't think that I was, um, but I did see that they had a 50 miler and, <laughs> and, and the, the, you know, like, I'm like, okay, I did 37, probably I can do the 50. That doesn't go overnight. It doesn't require all these like, you know, above and beyond things. Maybe I could do the 50. Cause I thought the hundred was just like, that's out of my league. This is like superhuman level here. I can't do that. But the 50 is within within reach because it's only a half marathon more than the max that I had done. So I trained for the 50. That was in Lockport, New York. It's called the beast of burden trained for it. It wasn't easy whatsoever, but I finished it. And, you know, and again, I'm like, Oh my God, this is, you know, you start, yep, you now start you're hooked. Now you're hooked. Yeah. It's like, nah. If you were not, you were hooked on the first one, but now we're definitely hooked. Um, <laughs> well, because it's like, I didn't, I didn't, again, I already, I already, I already counted myself out of the hundred mile distance. Right. Yeah. And once you count yourself out, but you start to inch your way towards it, then you start to believe, hey, may- maybe that's not the right thing to do to count myself out. Maybe I could actually do this thing. Yeah, we call I call that um, deselecting yourself. You know, so in special operations, you put in a, a packet to go to apply to special operations. Right. Well, a yeah. lot of guys, what they do is they deselect themselves, meaning they never get the opportunity to go because they never drop the packet and they say, Oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I don't have the intellect. Whatever the story is that's in their head, yeah. they deselect. They move over to the category of people that are not going to try. And yeah. um, when you get a little bit closer and closer, you can kind of change the story in your head. And it's like, well, shit. It becomes a uh, well, what if a what if scenario? And then you get then that kind of like pulls you into the thing, right? Yeah, that makes that makes that makes total sense. You're right. That deselection happened. Because I already counted myself out because I, I didn't, I didn't think I thought I, I was lucky to finish the marathon. I was lucky to finish this 37, this hundred miles doesn't like, no, I can't do that. But as I inched my way closer to it, I, that started to start to fall apart, right? That thinking started to fall apart. That yeah. doubt started to melt away. 
and 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 when I finished the fifty, yeah, it wasn't easy, right? Like none of those distances is they're they're easy, right? None of none of them are, and so it's like the marathon is hard, fifty miles is hard, hundred miles is hard, right? Yeah. And so it's it's like uh, once I once I once I stopped deselecting, right? That deselection process, and I and I real and realized like maybe the hundred miles is something I can do. Um, I put my chips in. Right. And I started training for it. I, I signed up for the first hundred mile on the calendar. Um, that was closest to me. Right. At this point, I hadn't even realized that, it's, that you know, you can travel for these things and it's yeah. like an amazing experience. I just chose the one that was closest to me. Um, and I started training for it and it was a big deal. It was a big deal for me because I remember the training logs, like you had to put in more like 20 25 mile runs back to back days. That was a thing. That, like yeah. this is the thing that people do to train for a hundred mile race and like thinking at the, oh my gosh this is going to take a lot of time yeah. um yeah i've got work uh you know that i have to but then it never really left my mind like i'm like i have to do this thing how amazing would it be um so so you know i balanced work and and training for this my first hundred miler um and i and it, it was it was it was in august it was the summer one it was hot right and so like i knew all these things and i incorporated that in my training so fast forward to the race. Um, it, it again, it wasn't easy, right? Like I, I compartmentalized it. I um, took down every ten miles, like you know, to the first ten miles, then the first, then the then second ten to get to twenty, and I just thought about it as as ten ten miles, 10 mile races, right? And I remember thinking, um, the one thing that I tried to do from the start, but it's really it's very it's a very hard thing to do when you haven't run that distance, is discipline yourself to run a lot slower than you're normally accustomed yeah, to. Right. Yeah. So I thought from the start, I or have to run blow up. Yeah. Oh man. Right. And so I'm thinking, keep it, keep it at 11 minutes to 12 minutes, keep it at 11 to 12 minutes for the first, you know, like throughout. Right. I thought, I thought if you keep it at 11 to 12 minutes and, and, and maintain that you will have an amazing time. Right. So of course I start running and I'm, I'm running like 12 minutes, you know, 12 minute miles. Everyone else is running like way faster. Right. And I'm like, wait, maybe I can run a little faster. <laughs> so I get to 10, I get, I get to nine. And of course we know like that execution, it had you, had you stuck to the plan, I know that now, had I stuck to the original plan, I would have had a much better time with my first hundred. But of course, because you feel good, you see, you see people moving faster than you. And you're like, wait a minute, I can't yeah. move, you know, so this slowly. And you started, I ran nine, nine, nine to 10 minute miles. And it felt great for maybe the first, 30 miles, 35, but until, you know, th then you, then you feel it. Right. And you start to like, Oh my God. So the second half of the race was actually really tough for me. Sure. So, so you learn these things through experience. <laughs> um, and it takes, it takes confidence to go at a slower pace. Um, and yes. by the way, I, I learned that hard lesson on our, the one that you and I shared, I was going way quicker than I should have been. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that here in a second. Um, so Barry, our, our, I guess I want to touch on some real quick and then we'll continue the story. So ladies and gentlemen, listening, yeah. you know, everybody here should be challenging the story we're telling ourselves. while you're, while you were talking and you're kind of, you know, hitting these different targets and they're moving over and over again. I constantly caught myself one relating to mm -hmm. some of the things that I've been through personally where the, the limit changed. Um, but then I also kind of asked myself, what's my story right now? You know, what's, what's the story I'm telling myself that I can't do something. Um, and there's some, there's a couple of things that popped up. I didn't really realize that I was thinking I couldn't do them. 
Um, but there are, and I think deep down, everybody that's listening is, can, can relate to that. There are some things you're saying that you're not good enough for, you can't do. Um, but really what we're learning is through experience, you know, through real world experience right now is that that's bullshit and it's a lie. Um, because you you're capable of a lot more. So get close to it, start trying, and then the target's going to end up moving over and over and you're going to break those limits and challenge those stories you're telling yourself because they're lies. Um, that was a huge lesson for me as you just went through that. And I'm, 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 I'm going to remember that for, I mean, probably forever. And, um, so now, so we, we knock out this first one. It's a gut check. We, we, we were, uh, we're prepared, but we go in, we're a little overconfident. We run a little too fast. We blow up. We have, it's a battle at the back end. We finish it. We're elated again. We do another one in David's honor. And, um, it's probably at this point where we start getting curious about the game of hundos. So let's talk about, the game of hundos and lead into that. Yeah. And, and I, I, I just want to quickly touch on the point that you made. Yeah, that's exactly true, right? When we stop counting ourselves out and we do the things that we thought we couldn't do, that, that goal, that target keeps moving. It keeps yeah. moving and it should. It should. We should never plateau, right? We should never think that this is the highest we can do and stay there. If we can challenge ourselves to go higher, why not, right? So this is the mentality that, that I'm thinking, I, I do my first hundred, right? And it's amazing. I know you probably felt this way too. When you cross the finish line, everything hurts. Like, oh my God. But then they, it's so three things. Everything hurts, right? Like, ah, oh, everything hurts. A sense of relief, right? Like it's over. It's over. I did it. Um, and nothing's broken. I could probably have gone on longer, right? Like, like the, 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 you feel all those simultaneously. Yeah, that was literally the conversation I had with my wife when I got in the car. I mean, I passed out after five minutes in the car, but I, uh, yeah. I, 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 oh man, yeah, my feet were destroyed. I, had, I was wearing a pair of $50 Under Armour shoes that I had bought in, like, because I was traveling two months prior. It, long, I won't get into all that, but it was disgusting. <laughs> and anyways, the same thing that happened. I finished the 100 miler. I was, I audited, yeah. I audited myself. Did I give my best? I said, is, is what I wanted to know. And I did the yeah. last five miles, people were walking in and kind of cruising. And I was like, dude, I want to leave it all out there. And so I gassed yeah. out the back end and I got in the car and I was, I remember talking to her. I was like, I wonder if I could go a couple of days, you know, it was kind of right? the thing that was in my head, the whole idea <laughs> changed, right? Like you're talking about. So keep, you know, keep us on, keep us on the journey here. Um, I don't want to yeah. get too many tangents. So keep going. So like, it, that's crazy, right? It's great. You just cross the line. You're already thinking maybe I could have gone longer, yeah. but you're right. So like after that first one, the gears are turning right now, you know, I, I do, I do the same thing. or like, Hey, finish the race, cross the line. And those feelings are happening, right? I'm feeling, I'm having those feelings of everything hurts. I'm a sense of relief and holy crap, maybe I could do more. And then, and then I go back home, um, go to work the next day, and then gears are turning again. It's like, <laughs> man, you know, like, like I, I, I'm, I'm sore, uh, and, and things hurt, and like it's a really, it's a big challenge to walk downstairs, <laughs> like yeah. down the steps is like, oh god, I hold on to the rail now. Yeah. But nothing is broken. Like, like this is just soreness, but nothing is broken. Like, is it possible to go longer? Right. And so, at the time, it, it wasn't, it wasn't longer that was on my mind. Right. Um, it was, it was how many times a hundred miles is a gut, is a gut check, right? It's really, it's a hard, it's a tough experience. I call it a life cycle because you really go through oh, a shit. life cycle in one of these, in one of these races, right? It's a big event. Um, I had, I had done one and I always regarded it as like this big life event because mm -hmm. it is, you go through 
so many emotions. You go through this complete life cycle and your energy levels go, they fluctuate and you, you know, you, you experience a lot of things. Oh, peaks and, so, and valleys. You get, you get high and then you have your, your highest highs and your lowest lows. Yep. So, so my, my initial thought was one of these is a huge undertaking. Can we do two? Right. And so that, that was, that was, that was my big question after having done the, the first one, just like one of them, the, the next big question was, can we do two? <clears throat> and I don't mean two, like, you know, we did one and, let, and let's see if we can do one, like, you know, six months from now or even the next year. Yeah. Can we, can we do two back to back? And I, and I thought and that, that idea stuck in my mind because I knew at that point, I already knew how hard it was to do one of these things. And I wanted to know for me personally, it wasn't, I wasn't trying to set any records. I wasn't trying to like, you know, outdo anyone or anything like that. It was, it was always a personal goal to me personally. Can I do this thing? Can I have these two completely separate life cycles, two weeks in a row? Cause I know how hard it is to like be self-motivating enough to get yourself through the first finish line. Can I do that again for a second finish line? Mm-hmm. Um, I asked myself that question in 20, in 2017. So in 2017, you know, I, I was still, I, I ran a hundred mile races um, here and there throughout all throughout 2016, you know, the, they, they, you know, one might've been um, in the winter, one might've been in the summer, but they were always like spaced out. And I knew that, you know, I knew every single race, every hundred mile race, there was, there was no such thing as an easy one. They were different in their ways. Some of them were loop courses. Some of them were point to points. Some of them were like uh, on a track, but, I, but none of them, there was no one that was easy, you know? And I'm like, man, these are very different, but these are all very hard challenges. Every single one of them is a hard challenge. Can I do one? Can I do on a back-to-back weekend? So in 2017, you know, I chose, um, I chose the first, uh, my first back-to-back, right. And I, and I, and I planned it. And, um, this is important because, you know, it's one thing running a hundred miles and planning for that race planning the logistics around it is an entirely different thing. So you have work, right? So like work for, for me, I never wanted to take off work to go run a race because I'm thinking, all right, got to have balance, got to have priorities. And my priorities are, you know, my, my responsibilities and my commitment to work. And then I can go and run this race and test my physical abilities. Right. So like I was getting the logistics part of it is always tough. Right. Yeah. And so, so finding two weeks on the calendar where I could actually go um, you know, and, and have enough time to fly out to the race, run the race, fly back and make it to work on Monday morning. Just finding those two weeks to do that thing with two races that fit that schedule, that was hard. <laughs> and so in 2017, I found that pair um, of weekends and it turned out to be in August. And it was um, the 2017 a Beast of Burden, uh, summer edition, and then 2017 Eastern States. So the Beast of Burden, I, you know, I ran it. That, that was the first out of the back-to-back, and I ran it, and I finished it, and everything was great, and I was feeling good. The next weekend was Eastern States in Pennsylvania, um, and, you know, I ran it, and I got – now, that's a hard race in its, on its own, but I didn't – the reason – I and, but, but I didn't finish. And so the reason I didn't finish wasn't because the race was hard. It's because I counted myself out halfway through. So I got to mile 55. Uh, at an aid station called the halfway house. And so, uh, you know, you get to mile 55, it's 11 PM. I'm, I'm already having doubts because I was getting cold. I wasn't moving. I wasn't moving very fast. And I knew that the, uh, the cutoff for the next aid station was very, was very tight. Right. And I'm, and I'm having self doubts. I'm like, can I, can I make it there before the cutoff? And I'm, and I'm thinking irrationally, I started thinking, what if I slow down, if I slow down and I miss the cutoff, 
are people going to start leaving? Are you going to pack up the aid station and then leave? And then all of a sudden I'm stranded in the middle of Prince William farce. Like, is that going to happen? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I ran through these scenarios, right? Fear, and, I, and I have five. Just, fear and the fear. imagination just taken over. Yeah. How many people have been there That's before? hundred percent. That is exactly what happened. And, you know, like I was, I, yes, it's true. I, I, I was, I was, I was tied on time already because I had five minutes to, to make that decision of, am I going to go or am I going to drop here? five minutes and the you know the aid station volunteer or the aid station captain was asking me hey just so you know you have five minutes um so we you know kind of have to make a decision you can't stay here you know for too much longer and i'm like oh my god like i'm the last one here I, like if i get stuck in this forest and everyone leaves and forgets about me i don't know how i'm going to make it home so or or back to the start area so that crept in my mind and i already counted myself out the, the fact that i was already having those feelings and that doubt and it's like entertaining those thoughts I wasn't going to finish that race. So, so that's, that's, you know, you eventually learn, I eventually learned that once you start having those doubts, because you will, anyone will have doubts in an event that long, keep going. Do not, don't cater to those doubts. Don't sit down and think about, start to, start to uh, bargain with yourself. Like, hmm. Don't, yeah, don't well, leave any you know, room for them. No room don't, for doubt. Don't, like, just, go, just, go. You don't exist here. I say it in my <laughs> head. Go. I, I tell myself in my head, like, you don't exist here. Like, that's, I'm yeah. just like, no, fuck no, man, because it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger than it can take over. It's huge. You are your own worst enemy in that regard. You Because only you can, can put yourself in that position and leave yourself there, right? But then only you can pull yourself out. You yeah. know, only you can pull yourself out of that situation. So when you're having that first doubt, and it's at an aid station where you can drop, you better go. <laughs> do not bargain. Do not talk with anyone about that because people, people will start to say, well, you know, you, you know, 55 miles is good enough. Like, oh, man, it's such an accomplishment. You know, you might – and once, once, once you start to have that validation from someone else because you're certainly on the fence, right? You're like, oh, man, should I stop here? If someone else validates those feelings, guess what? You're not going. <laughs> so once you start – yeah. No, sorry. I was gonna, I, on the, the silver heels one, same thing. I went to an aid station and some passerby was like, dude, you don't look so good, you know? And I, yeah. I remember deliberately, I didn't know, I didn't have as much consciousness and awareness to do what you're telling me to do now. But at the time I was like, fuck no, get away from me. <laughs> I was like, I got to get moving again. I was like, I'm not listening to you. You are the devil right now. I need to keep going. So great point there. Don't leave room for it. So that was that. I dropped, you know, mile 55. Guess what happened? You know, that, that was that was an aid station where you could drop. And so they drove me back to the start finish area. Um, I, you know, I got back to my car. I changed. I took a nap. I woke up and I felt all this regret. I, I woke I woke up maybe four hours later and I'm like, why did I do that? Nothing yeah. is broke. Like, there's nothing right. physically wrong with me. And like, why? I don't understand. So, you know, like I left, I went home and I was really I was hard on myself. Right. Because I knew that that wasn't a reason to drop. That wasn't a reason to stop yeah. there. And how irrational is that to begin with that, that uh, a race of that size would leave anyone out there stranded. Right. That just doesn't happen. Right. And so I'm like, I let these negative thoughts creep into my mind, no matter how irrational they were. And they won. And I was so upset with myself over that. And I'm like, no, I can't, I can't live with myself for, you know, like I, I let that happen and I let those thoughts get to me. And I, and I, I dropped, from a situation I could have completed and succeeded at. And I don't like, that doesn't sit well with me. I got to try again. So that was in August, 2017. And, I, and again, I'm looking on the calendar and I'm like, all right, got to find a pair of weekends, two weekends that works with my schedule and the logistics workout. And that, again, that's not an easy thing to do, but I found one in December of that same year. And I'm like, no, 
I remember those feelings that caused me to drop and I'm going to push past them. So, you know, December comes, I did the, I run the first hundred. I finished the first hundred. It was great. I felt, you know, like on top of the, again, everything is great. Second hundred comes the following weekend. And guess what? I'm in that same situation again and same at mile 67 this time. So this, this was the, um, uh, this, this race was, I believe five. Yes. So five, five loops of 20 miles, um, devil dog and it's five loops of 20 miles. And I get, I get three loops in like, so, so, you know, I'm, I'm on a mile 60 starting loop four and this is at night and it got cold. It got really cold December at, um, uh, at that time gets really, really cold. And, and again, the same thing, same thoughts came in and, and I, and I, I succumbed to them, you know, like I, I, I thought, I thought to myself if I, and I knew that I should go and I thought, all right, if I go, it's eight miles to the next aid station, and I'm already starting to feel this the temperature drop. It was, it was in the high 20s at that point. And I thought, and I, if I freeze out there, there's a chance I could become hypothermic before I get to the next aid station. Do I want to be in that position, right? And, and I start, and here's the thing. The longer I'm there making that decision on, on you know, whether I should continue or drop, that, that time that I'm not moving is what's contributing to me getting colder, right? Like that whole time that what I should have been doing was putting on more layers, getting more hot soup, like heat, heat, heating up internally, right? And just like, just know that, no, yeah. And continue motion and can, don't, don't, you had to get, yes. get back in motion, get, go before you're ready is like the, the mantra that I try like for myself personally, I'm like, go before I'm ready, go before I'm ready, you know? And it sounds like you're, you basically should have done that at the time. You, no, you're, you're hit, I, and I love this because you're hitting the nail on the head. Like, yes, th these are the principles. Go before you're ready is like, you're right. That's exactly what I should have done. I waited too long. I waited too long. I wasn't eating when I should have been eating. I wasn't like, drink hot chocolate, doesn't matter. As soon as you get there, if you're cold, you do things to, to make you warmer, but you have to do it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just, I'm sitting down and I'm thinking, and I'm, I'm actually, now I'm thinking, right? I've got more than enough time, but I'm, I'm contemplating. And again, once you start having those doubts and, and, you know, once you start like trying to find a way out, you will find a way out. Your mind will find a way out and you, you'll stop. Right. And so go before you're ready. You're entirely right. What I should have done was get to the aid station. I'm getting cold. No, put on layers. Excuse me. Can I, is it okay? Can I have a hot chocolate? Can I have soup and just start? Doesn't matter. Take it down, take it down <laughs> and then get out of there and go. I didn't do that. And so, so again, like I dropped mile 60, you know, go back to the car. I drove, drive to the hotel, take a shower, get, get some sleep, wake up the next morning. And again, I'm like, yes. what the hell? There's nothing wrong. I, are you kidding me? I dropped because of that. <laughs> and like, and like we, we are our own worst critics. That will always be the case. And so mm -hmm. I was really hard on myself. I, I relayed the story to everyone else. You know, I, everyone else who I told, they were like, dude, you just ran hundred miles the week prior. You got 60 miles in this race. That's amazing. And I'm like, no, dude, that wasn't what I went out there for. <laughs> I didn't go out to finish hundred miles and then only do 60 miles of this race. If I signed up for the hundred K that would have been great, but I didn't, I signed up for the hundred mile and, and I dropped for reasons that don't make sense to me right now. <laughs> I dropped for reasons that I could have pushed through, you know, and that doesn't sit well with me. You know, like once you put your mind to something and you believe that you can get through this, you can. You just need to be strong enough to push through it. So didn't sit well with me. And so again, in 2018, I'm like, I gotta, 
I, the back-to-back was the only thing I ever wanted to do. I really wanted to do it because I knew how hard a hundred mile, completing a hundred mile was. And so, and so I tried again in, in uh, 2018. And again, the whole schedule has to line up. It has to line up. Um, and it, it lined up. I found, I found a pair of weekends that worked in November. Um, started with something called the Chattanooga 100. And that race, <laughs> that, uh, November 30th, that race was intense. Uh, it, was, it rained for the better part of a day. And that made the turn the course into like this mud fest, right? And the finish rate was something under half. Um, and it was, it was honestly, it was terrible, but I finished it. And, and, it, and, I, and I thought, wait, wait, I, this was hard. This is very tough. We got, we got the following weekend. I, I can't, I can't focus on, you know, how hard this past race was. I got to focus on the next execution for the next one. Right. And yeah. so the next one was um, the 2018 Daytona 100 in Florida. Now this is a flat course. I've done this race before. I had experience on my side, right? Like I know the aid stations, I know the people out there and I knew, and I purposely set up a familiar race to be number two because it would greater, it would increase my chances of actually completing it. And guess what? It did. So, you know, not to say that race w- was easy, like every oh, hundred miles. No. You, yeah. It, but, it's, but, but I, I knew. Yeah. Uh, no, I was just saying you, you got the, um, un- you wanted to get a little bit of an unfair advantage, so to speak, even though like, this is going to be, this is still two back to back hundred milers, man. Yeah. Plus, by the way, I would argue that's, that's even harder at this point because we have, we've striked out twice now and now yeah. it's like performance anxiety is coming in and it's like, I mean, you got a little bit of a competitive edge because you're thinking unfinished business, right? That's yeah. got, but, but that's enough to get you started, but you still have, you know, the the 11 o'clock p.m 12 o'clock a.m window that you got to fight through which has kind of broke you off before in the past and so um yeah keep going keep don't let me jump in let me i want to keep keep the real story rolling so that that's exactly that's exactly what it is right like i didn't want to strike out a third time i it, i had this goal right and i keep telling myself that you you went through these experiences you learned from them you learn valuable things from them. Like you have to succeed. This is the third time you could, you have to succeed. And I thought like, okay, there was pressure. We do have performance anxiety. We are our own worst critics, right? When it comes to that. So yeah, we could be doing an amazing job from on a relative basis, but you know, relative to ourselves, relative to what we are capable of, we know that we can do more, right? That's why we signed up for these challenges. And so that's why I signed up for this challenge. It was, it was try number three and I wanted to get it done. Um, so Daytona 2018 Daytona 100 came and it and it went and it was a su- success. Um, and I was, dude, I was on cloud nine. I go back to work and the same the same like cycle happens. Yeah. I, I'm at work. I'm like, oh my god, I did this thing. It was a big, <laughs> big. And because me personally, I, I I was hyping it up, right? For myself, I was sure. hyping it up because it was it was I've been trying now for two years. Then I was hyping it up on like social media. I'm like, oh my god, the back to back to back. I did it. I'm at work now. Of course, I'm sore, right? You know. Two back-to-back 100s will never be <laughs> true, truly an easy thing to do, right? But it's so I'm sorry. But nothing was broken. Again, like nothing. Like I wasn't broken. My spirit certainly wasn't broken. And I started thinking now the gears started turning. What if a triple is possible, right? <laughs> like I never, I never considered it, right? And I'm thinking if I if I do the triple and I get it, I get it. You know, like that's that's like a free option, right? I can. It wasn't my goal. But if I don't get it, like oh, no big deal. I never. That wasn't my goal to begin with. But if I do, imagine that. So, um, so I signed up for a look on the calendar, right? And I'm looking all over. Now, this for race the fall- was for the following weekend, or okay, for the following weekend. Yeah, um, okay. it was in uh, Louisiana, something called the Lou Guru 100, right? Okay. And and I'm and I'm like, it was the only race on the calendar. I'm like, oh my gosh, uh, let's do it, 
right? <laughs> so I, I signed up for it. And then I, and then I, the first step was signing up for it and then figuring out all the details, like how am I getting, how am I getting there? What are the logistics, like all this stuff? And I figured that out and I go there and I complete it. Now, I wasn't, I wasn't particularly fast. In fact, I came in a few minutes before the end of the global cutoff and that was really stressful, but I did it, right? And like, um, what, uh, what stuck out in my mind with that race in particular was that that was the first race where midway, through, not midway through, um, I'd say mile 80, I get to the mile 80 point and I'm looking at the, uh, the time and my current pace and like, you know, my, or my average pace and how much time I have remaining. And I'm thinking, I don't know if I could finish this with my pace right now. Like, I don't, I don't think it's possible. Right. But I, I still continue going forward at the very slow pace that I was moving at that time. And I, and I'm doing the math and I'm extrapolating. I'm thinking, ah, I, I don't know, but I, I'm not going to stop here. Right. I'm going to keep going. And that was the first time where, yeah, in that moment I sucked. <laughs> I was going like 35 minutes a mile. Right. I incredibly slowly. Right. I was terrible in that moment, but guess what happened? The sun came up. I was new energy, new man. I started running again. Yeah. Right. And I'm doing the math in my head and I'm like, Holy crap. I could actually, huh. I went from, I went from like not like finishing this thing at that current pace in like 34 hours. Right. Just doing the math to like now getting under the cutoff of 30 hours. And I'm like, Holy crap. And that, that, that like, I motivated myself. I'm like, oh my gosh. And look, I'm, I'm running faster. New energy, new day, new sun. And so that was the first real race where I had that, like I learned that when you're in the doldrums of it, like when you feel really low, feel really bad and start having those first, that first doubt that you might not make the cutoff. Don't succumb to it because guess what? Your energy levels will fluctuate. You will, you will run fast again. That was the first race I truly learned that. If it's, if it's um, basically what you're saying too, if it's unknown or uncertain, like not guaranteed, it's not fact, right? Yeah. That means you have a chance. Yeah. Okay. And that's what you're saying right in that moment. You're like, you're doing the math. You're like, oh, there's no way. I don't think so. But you realize that it's uncertain. So you keep going and that's all you really need, yeah. right? That's all you really need to succeed and win at something is I just need the opportunity. And then what happens is you start getting re-energized, getting refocused, the inspiration comes back. You start digging in, you find the silver lining. And instead of like finding the negative and going down that rabbit hole, you're, you're in the other, other lane where it's like, okay, there's a chance here. And let, let me focus on this chance that I might be able to, to knock this thing out. Dude, 100%. That's exactly what it is. Right. Yeah. But I had to experience the prior two failures to understand that sure. because had I not gone through those failures, those, those life, those fa- failures were life experiences in their own. Sure. right? That they, they were. Had I not gone through those experiences in the past, I would have been in mile 80 going to the aid station thinking I'm moving a half hour miles. That's not going to get sure. me to under 30. I'm going to, you know, why, why am I going to push myself, you know, go through all this pain? I'm, I'm dropping here. I didn't because I, I knew what the last two, I had the last two experiences. So, you know, Part part of part of any success in life is having gone through the experience of failure. Like you have to know what it feels like. You have to know where you were in that moment that caused you to fail before yeah, you before you can succeed. There's no success without failure, right? Right. Absolutely. And so and so that that race was a milestone. I completed it. I'm on cloud nine again. So again, the game of hundos began organically, right? It was really a week to week effort to see how far I could go. That, so, that was always what it was from the so, start. So, okay. It wasn't like, so we're basically in the game of hundos now. 
We are. This this was race number three in the game. (laughs) So that makes complete sense. Cause I, I was wondering if it was gonna, if there was going to be a short pause and then I mapped out a hundred, hundred milers, but really it just one thing led to the next and now we're in it. And this is, it started 2018. If I remember the the timeline correctly, right. That's correct. And, uh, we broke through once we did the back to back hundreds is where we got curious about the third, we hit the third. And, um, now again, curious about a fourth, (laughs) curious about a fourth. At what point did you name it? You did you sit there and say, dude, you know what? The, there's gotta be an end destination here. So to speak, let me see, let me set a goal and let's, let me see if I can do a hundred of these things. Where, where did that occur at? And then where did you decide like, yep, let's do a hundred. We'll call it the game of hundos. So believe it or not, that didn't happen until number 58. Um, because, because, you know, 10, 10 uh, sorry. Uh, when I finished three, I wanted to see if I could get to four. When I got to four, I wanted to see if <laughs> yeah. I get to five. When I got to five, I thought 10, could I hit double digits? That's yeah. the only thing. Like if I could hit double digits, I'd be so like proud of myself and happy. Um, and this is an important milestone in itself because at number five, number six, I was starting to feel the the cumulative effects of sleep deficit, like losing a night and a half of sleep yeah. every week on average, it was starting to hit me. So like I would be at work, you know, and I would get sleep during the week, you know, a lot of sleep during the week, but on a, you know, Wednesday, early afternoon, didn't matter how much coffee I, I was drinking. I was just like, you know, doing one of these in front of the computer. Like, Oh my God, stay <laughs> yeah. awake. It's, you're like, I a, can't stay awake. It's like a Batman scenario. You know, it's like, <laughs> like Bruce by day, Batman by night. It's like kind of what I'm picturing <laughs> in my head, man. And, you know, and so it's pretty cool. And, and, you know, you're, people aren't, people are missing it too. You know, you're traveling around and we're getting up to, you know, number 50, would you say 58 where game of hundreds, hundreds was born, but there's this, there's this push and pull. I got a full-time job, yeah. you know, I'm managing that. I'm flying around. I'm trying to find the next hundred miler. Um, so we're, we're in there, we're going back and forth. We're constantly stretching ourselves. Can I do 10? Can I do 20? And then we right. get up to, um, 50, I think you said it was 58 and you're like, so you know, this, is, this is game, the game of hundos. Um, talk me through that last stretch there from, from yeah. naming it so, to the end. So it was, it was really, so I, the reason I say 58 is because 58 corresponded with the end of 2019. Right. And so, and so a lot of people expected, I, I never, I never specified an end goal. I didn't have an end game. Um, that I, that I publicized. Hold right? on. So what, what so, so I, I met you, I met you probably at like 30 or 40 then. Uh, that was number 30, got 36. Yeah. In 36. the thirties. Yeah. You're, you're, because you're, that was July awesome. 4th weekend. That was July 4th weekend. Um, for us. Yeah. Well, the Silver Hills was July 4th weekend. Um, but it, it was, uh, it wasn't until 58 because it corresponded with the end of 2019. And th- there was kind of this expectation from like people following that I was going to stop at the end of 2019, right? Like 2019 would be the end goal when, when secretly <laughs> I, I had already mapped what it would be like to go to a hundred, right? Yeah. Like I knew 58 was coming up, but I thought, yeah. I thought, and I didn't know this is to your point about the going into the unknown. Cause I didn't know if mentally I would get to the, the 58, which was across the years in Arizona. I didn't know if I got there at the end of the year, if I would, if I would automatically, like if I would feel complete and done, right? Like I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know how I would feel because at that point I was tired. <laughs> I was tired. This, this thing, running a hundred miles and especially in a like consecutive, uh, consecutively in a streak like that doesn't come for free. Like, oh, like man. it takes every weight race, every week takes something out of you. Right. Yeah. 
Um, your pace gets slower. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, relationships too. I mean, there's a lot yes. of life. You're still living life. It's not like you're, you know, an, a, a full-time athlete all the time. Like literally I'm Bruce, Bruce by day and, and, and Batman by night. And then the family supporting you and helping you. It's a team effort. Dude, 100%. You are making sacrifices. You do have relationships to take into account. You have a career to take into account. It's a balancing act, right? It doesn't come for free. You know, like you, you might be, you might be, um, the cost of this might be uh, less sleep, right? Or, or just, you know, pushing yourself past limits that you thought you had, right? There, there is a cost associated with this. So I didn't know that getting to the end of 2019, where I would just feel like I was done. I didn't know if that, that's why I didn't publicize it until I finished that race. So that was the last one of 2019. And I already had the calendar for the, for the next 42. Sounds crazy, right? <laughs> for the next 42. I had a tentative schedule of what it would look like and where I would be and what parts of the country I would be. And I was like, okay, but I can't, I can't post this until I finish 58. And, and, and then I know what it feels like because, because I don't want to, I don't want to like oversell myself on something. If, if I get to 58 and feel like I'm done, I'm done. Like my body is telling me this is it, but I get to 58 and I felt like, no, no, we're, we're, who stops at 58 to begin with? <laughs> We're going for this thing, right? And so I and I, and I was very happy to finish like the last race of the year. I published that now. Now it's a thing. I said I'm going to 100, and it was going to be the 100 by 100 by 100, right? 100 100 miles in 100 weeks. I was excited. I was scared because I didn't. I really truly like I motivational. Like I I had the energy for it, right? Like I wanted to do it. But I, I didn't truly know, right? Because I got to 58 weeks and they were getting harder and finishing the races were getting harder and I was getting slower. And I knew that this was going to be a really hard thing to do. But then I thought, you know what? I have to go for it. Like I've, I've got to, I've invested this much time that, and not, now I already put it out there <laughs> that this is the game of hundos and it's a hundred miles, yeah. a hundred by a hundred by a hundred. I got to, I got to give it my best effort. So I do it, right? And I'm getting uh, the first, the first month happened, January races, they come and go, they happen, they were a success. February races come and go, they happen, they were a success. We get to March. <laughs> and we start to hear in the news things about the coronavirus, right? We, we were starting to hear it in January and February, but it was always this, um, this, this, uh, this external foreign thing that was happening in Asia, right? In, yep. in China specifically. Yep. We'd never, it never really presented itself as a threat domestically until March. Yeah. Right. So, so now, so now March timeframe is happening and we're getting, um, our, like our first confirmed cases, uh, are, 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 are starting to appear in, in the U S right. In, in greater number. Like, so the confirmed cases are happening in, in higher numbers and like, it's starting to become a thing. Right. Yep. That was the beginning of March. And then, and then as March progressed, got worse and worse and worse and worse and travel advisories started popping up. And then, and then it hit all in a weekend. Seemed like it hit all at once lockdowns san francisco started first so like california you know their their mayor go go goes ahead and institutes a citywide lockdown for three weeks and that news hit and it was like what yeah <laughs> they're locking down the city for three weeks and people knew the next domino to the fall was going to be new york because new york was the, the other hot spot right new york was the original hot spot and it's like holy moly if a city like san francisco locks down their city for three weeks guess what new york's to follow Yep. Um, that happened at the end of uh, March. And so New York City goes under lockdown. And now if you're a determined individual, which like I, both you and I are determined individuals, right? You, you, you will find a way 
to get to the next race, right? So, so like I knew, I already knew, like, okay, New York City's under lockdown, but the races are still happening. So, like, my next race, again, this was in Arizona, it was the Flat Top Mesa 100. And I'm like, I have a way of getting there. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm driving to a different, to an adjacent state and then taking a flight from the airport yeah. in that state to go to Arizona. Did you? And, did and I'm, yeah. Did you, did you think like, I mean, I know, I know they, I think I know the answer to this. I think the answer is, well, I won't say it on here, but when that when COVID <laughs> hit was, did, there had to have been a small fraction of time of like, oh, this is a valid excuse, but, but did you yeah. ever entertain that for longer than a split second or talk just real quickly? Cause you know, people, I did. Yeah. People, people get obstacles in their life all the time and they're like, oh yeah, okay. I guess I can't do this. I can't go to the gym. You're talking about a hundred miler, like a hundred, hundred milers right now during COVID. And you're like, you know, the person out of everybody in the world that could say, okay, let me just kind of compromise the goal. You're the one person that people would probably expect an exception for and say, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But what people don't have an exception for is like, you know, going to the gym, right? People are like, yeah, I'm not going to go down here and work out. I'm not going to work out today because my gym's closed instead of like just grabbing a kettlebell and doing it in the house. Right. Yeah. So I think from your, from your lens and what happened with you when that happened, what was the conversation like? Did you consider saying, "Hey, no, this ain't for me," or, or, you know, what I was did. the dialogue like? I did. It started from um, a more moral responsibility question first, right? Like I, I thought, okay, I can get to the next race. Sure, I can figure out a way because we are determined individuals. We'll get where we want to go. Where, where we, you know, we've set a goal. We want to get there. We'll get there. Then the moral question hit me, right? Like, and I, and I thought, and I thought, I was very, I was very transparent about this about what should the right thing be what should i be doing what should what morally what is the right thing to do yeah i can get to this next race i can figure out a way that's not the problem the problem is should i be doing it yeah and and i thought about it for a very long time for days right before i got to this next i'm thinking about it for days like gosh and you know i spoke to my girlfriend and she 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 knew the the struggle that i had mentally because at that point i was at i was at number 69 and yeah. she knew about the struggle that I, that I had mentally, you know, about should I do this internally, I should say, about should I do this? And, 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 you know, it was in conversing with her that she made me, she made me realize that, yes, you might be physically able to do this. You might have the logistics down to get it done and, you know, to get back to New York safely. But think about it this way. You know, you're, you, you know, we don't know a lot about this virus. You could be an asymptomatic carrier. You are coming from the hot spot right? Like where you're having like thousands of confirmed cases a day. And now you're talking about going to this small town in Arizona where you might asymptomatically carry it and transmit it to someone else, a volunteer, let's say, at the race. And that race and that volunteer goes home and they're in a small town and their hospitals might not even have ventilators, right? Let's say that it doesn't have ventilators and you're bringing this thing unknowingly there. And it wasn't, that just sunk in, right? Because she was right. I could have all of the resources on my own and all of the, you know, perceived health, because at the time we, we didn't know that much about asymptomatic transmission, but we knew that it was a thing. Yeah. I could have all of the resources and, and, you know, like capabilities to do and execute. But what I didn't know is the unknown now was, am I hurting others? Right. So that moral question like really stuck to me. And yeah, at that time I thought, you know what? If, if stopping the game of hundos for because of a global pandemic what, what had to happen, that's, that's a very good reason to stop it, right? 
And so I, and so I thought about it long and hard for a few days and I, I, I stopped like in my mind, I had stopped. I, I thought, and, and, and again, around that time, other races were getting canceled, like in mass. I was receiving emails from race directors and the race organizations canceling yeah. races the next two weeks, the next, and they were, they were coming in all at once. And it was overwhelming because they, they have different race policies right now. Keep in mind at the start of the year, I had everything set. Like yeah. The race registration fees, the flights, the hotels, the car rentals, um, you know, the budget that I had allocated for Ubering to and from the airport, all that stuff was set. So when race directors are canceling or postponing or offering refunds or some are not offering refunds or rolling over, it's like, it's a lot to handle all at once. It was so overwhelming. And I was getting all those emails. There were 40, at that point, 32 races left in the calendar. When you start getting that hit all at once, you're like, oh God. <laughs> this is going to be like a part-time job handling this, Th- this right here. Like, what do I do about the refunds rollovers? Okay. That, that's a part-time job in itself. Um, and I, and I, I got, you know, discouraged and, and I thought, wow, ah, this, this, this is, this is like demoralizing, right? I don't know when these races are going to start up again. And if I take a weekend off, that's it. The game of hundos, like what it, what it meant, like, what I originally structured it as is no longer, right? I can't take off a few months and then continue the game of yeah, It's not the same. Yep. It's not the same. Then it's going to be like 100 by 100 by 132, right? Because you did this over 132 weeks instead of 100 weeks, right? It doesn't have the same. I'm like, ah. So, you know what? Global pandemic, it's a 100 year, it's a 100 year event. If I stop it here, I'm doing it for the right reasons. And that's what I thought. So, I sat on that knowledge. I didn't, I didn't publicly like stop it. I sat on that knowledge throughout the week and we're under lockdown and keep that in mind at this point, we're under lockdown. New York city is advised to stay at home, right? People are advised to stay at home and guess what? People were scared. So it wasn't like, you know, Oh, we're being forced to stay at home. This is, you know, an uproar and we're having, pro-. no, people were like, we don't know what this thing is. We're staying at home. And so like, I, I thought that way too. I'm like, eh, I don't want to take the chance. <laughs> but then, I, but then I thought, um, and I sat with that knowledge, uh, for a few days and I was quiet just real quick I, I when yeah. that happened I was watching your I mean I was following along with you right like I'm following Facebook I'm watching your posts and my heart sank when I saw what was going on in New York and I immediately I was like I wonder how he's going to handle this and yeah. um you know and it wasn't a there were some weird feelings that hit you know I, I I went through the same things watching you of like I wonder what he's going through on this goal. And I was wondering how, how he's going to, is he going to pivot? Is he going to adjust? Is he going to, what is he going to do exactly? And then one day, I think this is exactly the same time that you're talking about. I'm looking on your post and I see you with a treadmill (laughs) and I see, and my offer is this right period of time. Go ahead. Yeah. So, so, so you're absolutely right. Um, my heart's thing too. Right. (laughs) But then, then I had this internal dialogue with myself and I thought, you know what? I didn't come this far to stop here. Yeah. Right. 68 weeks into 69 weeks into this project. That's a year and a half of my life that I, I, I didn't come for free. Yeah. There, there's real human cost, the physical cost here, there's human relationship cost here. There's like this real cost to getting to 69 weeks in a, in a project like this that I just couldn't stop there. Right. Without giving it an effort to your point to pivoting and figuring out a solution this is an obstacle, right? What do we do in life? When we, when we encounter obstacles, we find ways around them, right? And this was a big one. And so it was kind of like, okay, well, th- yeah, yeah, the real cost of getting this far, I, I want to see this thing to the end. 
And so I thought about ways that I could do it. Treadmill was the first. So I ordered it first and foremost. I ordered a treadmill because I thought I'm going to be running these on a treadmill from here out. Like that, that's what, that's my <laughs> initial thought. Yeah. I go on Amazon and Amazon Prime's timeline was two day delivery. And I thought, perfect. Boom. We're getting a treadmill in two days. And guess what? That treadmill didn't come for 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> Which feels so like I'm, an eternity. I'm, dude, right. Am I getting this thing? I don't know. And so like, uh, so I'm like, I'm, I'm like feverishly checking the refreshing the tracking. And I'm like, when is it coming? Is it coming? Is it coming? Now I have a deadline. I've got to get this hundred miles started. Otherwise I'm going to miss a weekend. Right. And I'm like, ah, uh, I got to, where, where is this treadmill? And then it's uh, Saturday comes right. And still no treadmill. Now at this point, Amazon lost the tracking because the, the, um, treadmills are heavy. Right. And so Amazon isn't responsible for that shipping. They outsource it to a third party freight company who delivers heavy equipment. And, and, uh, and that furry company like had the information, but for some reason they didn't relate to Amazon. So it's, so Amazon tells me they I got an email saying that they lost, uh, shipping of the, uh, tra- uh, tracking of the shipment. And I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean you lost tracking of the shipment? And so they gave me a bunch of numbers to call and I'm calling the company and I'm getting on the phone with the customer service rep. And I'm like, hi, I'm checking, uh, you know, the, the, the tracking on shipment number, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, oh yeah. So that, that's still in Indiana that hasn't left the uh, warehouse in Indiana. I'm like, this was supposed to be here two days ago. I don't understand. And then I'm like, you know, COVID is slowing down all of this stuff. And it, t- it made total sense. Right. But I'm like, Oh my God, I don't even have the treadmill. What am I going to do? And so like, I'm on the couch, like, again, thinking well, I, like I, I need the treadmill to run the mileage and I don't have it. And I'm not going to have it until, you know, another week from now that's going to be a skip in the, in the, in the game. I'm going to have like a, I don't want to skip. Um, and I'm looking around my living room, right. And I'm just sitting there on the couch, looking at the, looking at my living room, looking at the carpets and thinking, what if I just ran it around my living oh, room? Oh, that's right. I did see that first. <laughs> that was the first one. It was, and the idea, so I never, I never committed it to at first. I, I, I just thought, okay, how, 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 what if I did it? Is it possible? One, is it possible? So I measured out just for fun, measured out the perimeter of the carpets in my <laughs> living room. It turned out to be oh, 40 feet. It. Right. And uh-huh. I'm like, and I'm again, just for fun, never entertained it. And never, I never, I never said I'm going to do this thing. Cause I knew it was crazy. And I'm like 40 feet. Okay. Well, there's 5,280 feet in a, in a mile. <laughs> so, so how many, how many turns of this 40 foot like <laughs> yep. perimeter do what I have to do? And it turned out to be 132. So I'm like, and- okay, <laughs> go ahead. No. Keep going. Oh, I'm like, so, we're, so hooked, the, we're hooked. It's, it's already, <laughs> we're, we're already in it. Go keep going. And you know, as well as I know that if you find the solution, <laughs> yeah. you're going to execute it, right? You know, you know, yeah. I already know. So, so, you know, 132. And I thought to myself, okay, to, for a mile, I have to do 132 rotations of this 40 foot track. Yeah. Yikes. And I'm like, that's going to be 13,200 rotations for 100 miles. And now I started thinking, again, I haven't committed, but you know, as I know, once you start finding a solution, you will execute. Yeah. So, so then I start. I didn't commit yet, but I, I started thinking, myself, okay, well, how do I keep track of it? Like, how do I keep track? Like, how am I going to be accountable for it? How do I keep track of 132 rotations per mile? Yeah. And, you know, and I started devising an uh, accounting system, right? And I was like, okay, well, I have to turn. If I count to this and then turn, because you have to switch your direction too, it's a very short track and it's a lot of turns. So 13,200 rotations translates to, you know, 60,000 plus turns of, or sorry, uh, uh, 50,000 plus turns of, of this thing. Right. Yeah. And you're like, Oh God, that's a lot of pressure on your knees. So you, you have to switch your rotation. 
so so I'm I'm thinking about all this, and then and then you know like I'm like okay, well, I, I have a camera system too, so uh, of course I, I need to, 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 to for validation purposes I need to make sure I record this event right and yeah. or, or or live stream it, you know, and it turned out that live streaming that event was a huge advantage because it provided motivation even when I even when I was at my lowest of lows because people would say people would see like you know like slow down and I would I would I would write in the message like oh my god I'm not feeling so great this is like this is taking way longer than I thought and they would come hit back and say no keep going keep going and give that motivation that I needed right and so so I do all these things and then when I had the plan like pretty much mapped out in, in my mind like it was like it was a no-brainer. I was going to do it, right? And like I thought, okay, I didn't come this far to stop here. It, it was real, real cost that for, for myself to get to week 69. And if I stopped at 69, that, that'd be tragic, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm finding a solution right here. One, two, I will have a treadmill in whenever, whenever the heck it comes in, <laughs> but it will come in. And I'm like, uh, and I'm thinking about all these things and I'm like, got to do it. And so the first indoor 100, the first pandemic 100, was indoors as crazy as it sounds 13,200 rotations around my living room carpet it took two and a half days yeah i know it's insane no i love it and the (laughs) the whole time you're going through that i know there's a moment in there where you're like holy shit i can't believe i'm gonna do 100 miles in my 100 miles in my living room (laughs) you know like i I can't believe i'm gonna do this i'm doing i am really doing this i'm doing 100 miles on my top of my carpet (laughs) dude it happened and 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 again i I love having this conversation with you because you i know i know you can appreciate this when you start, so two things. One, if you say you're going to do something, oh, yeah. you're going to do it. You're going to do it. If, if you post it, you publish it, if you're transparent about it, you're going to give it your 100% effort to get it done. Not even, 110 to get it done. Um, that's one. The second thing is when you start it, from that moment you take the first step, you, you, you know that you can't stop until it's done. <laughs> I know. I know. It's kind of like... like- it's like, fuck, I, it's like, I wish I could stop. You know what I mean? Like, man, I wish I could stop now. Like, I just can't though. Dude, that uh, first mile, yeah. that first mile, uh, took 25 minutes. The first mile, and I was, I was like, I was hustling. I was yeah. like, power walking like, around the living the room, elbow, on, elbows man. up, just like, let's go, guys. <laughs> oh my god, I couldn't believe it. I purposely did not look at my watch for that first mile until I did the 132 rotation, <laughs> right? And then, and then when my watch finally clicked, and and I and I saw the you know, first mile. I, saw, I looked at the time. It's twenty-five minutes. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's oh, it's beautiful. Um, so okay. So let me. Man, we're. Um, this is this is beautiful. So I don't want to. I don't want to slow us down. I don't want to stop. But we got to keep pushing yeah. through. So, all yeah. right. Um, so COVID hits. We adjust. We got the treadmill on order. We do it, and that we do one in the house. We go live. That's that's an awesome experience because people are supporting us. Um, I mean, I say it's awesome because they're supporting us, but it's also really shitty because we're doing literally laps in our living room. And then yeah. we get we get the treadmill. There's some fun ones there, and just kind of you know talk me through the rest of the journey. Yeah. Talk talk me about com- talk to me about completion of the game of hundos. So New York was locked down for um, for ten weeks. And so for those 10 weeks, like I, I say lockdown, like, no one was forced to stay at home. That was the guidance, you know, yeah. the lockdown came from the sense of um, businesses were closed, right? So non-essential businesses were closed for 10 weeks. So I aligned my indoor series with the guidance. So if, if you know, if the governor and the mayor said, hey, stay at home, this is for public health, uh, for the public health, go to the public health, stay at home. I stood at home, right? And so for those 10 weeks, I ran 
I ran a thousand miles in my living room. It was was ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) When when the order was lifted and New York City started opening up in phases, that's when I aligned my my game of hundos with that coming out of lockdown. So the first race, the first hundred miler outside of lockdown was uh, the around the block 100. I ran 100 miles around my block. <laughs> um, and I was, I was so grateful to be outside. To be outside after things, 10 weeks, yeah, yeah. We took for granted, I took for granted, you know, races outside. And so races didn't start up again until, and I, I didn't think that they would. Honestly, like the way that things were progressing with the pandemic, I didn't think that races would um, start up again for the rest of the year. Yeah. So. So all of those unofficial 100s, because every every 100 during the pandemic in my apartment was not in a race. It was an unofficial 100. I thought I was going to have to carry the remainder. So I had 20 weeks left. At this point, I was at week 80. And I thought I would have to carry the rest of the, the series unofficially and like locations, you know, it's like around where, wherever. Like I have to figure out my own courses, which yeah. I, I, I appreciated. I more than ever appreciated races official races at that point, because everything is organized for you. All you have to do is go there and execute, right? Yeah. When you have, when you have an unofficial thing, you have to take care of everything, the logistics, yeah. how am I getting uh, food, fuel, like where am I, where are the aid stations, what about all these things you have to do on your own. So get out of lockdown. And so for the next, I would say eight, uh, seven to eight weeks, we're all unofficial. Like I ran a hundred miles in New Jersey. I flew to Colorado where my girlfriend lives and we, we, you know, did a hundred miles every weekend. Some in the, uh, in the in the mountains, um, which was very scenic and very like I love that experience because Colorado is so beautiful. Yeah. Um, and uh, and races started to come back online very slowly in mid July, uh, mid to late July. And I thought at the time like, all right, we we're getting races again. You know, like it wasn't every weekend. There were still like holes in the calendar, and I would have to figure out what I was going to do when they were. But races started to come back, and so this is this is week eighty five, eighty six. And, and now I'm really excited because I have 14 weeks left in the game of hundos, right? Yeah. And I knew at this point, I knew at that point when races started coming back online and I was that close to the end that there was nothing, nothing was going to stop, stop me, right? Like I, we were yeah. going to see this goal. The biggest unknown though, because we were, we are, we were, and still are in a pandemic was getting sick, right? So that was the number one mm-hmm. thing that I wanted to protect against was don't get sick don't get other people sick. Right. So yeah. I'm doing these races, any race that I'm flying out to, I'm getting the COVID test. I'm getting the navel, the nasal swab test. I'm getting the results, making sure that, okay, I feel fine, but I just want to make sure that I don't have it. Cause I don't want to transmit to anyone else. And so, and so I'm taking these, these tests like every few weeks going over to the, uh, to, to the, the med right center to get that, you know, instant test. Like, all right, we, we have to, we need to, figure out if we have this thing or not, but doing this every, just to be socially responsible, right? So the number one thing was I need to be socially responsible. And then second, don't get sick. <laughs> um, so that was 14 weeks. When we started the final countdown, the, the remaining 10, I, I, I knew we had it, right? Like, like we've gone through 90 weeks of this thing. We had 10 weeks remaining. So, I, and, and it's, it's at that point, you, you would have to physically lose your legs. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to prevent me from finishing this thing. And I had such community support. There was such support from community, you know, friends and, and family were coming out saying, Hey, I want to be supportive for, you know, t- tell me what your schedule looks like in the last 10. I want to be there for, you know, for this one or this one or this one. Um, number 100 came. And that, that was a course that was that I set to be in uh, New York city. So it was all in, in Manhattan, Brooklyn and Queens. 
And that, that was a huge supportive effort from, from a bunch of friends. It was a huge success. And, you know, like I couldn't believe when it was over, when I did it, I couldn't believe that I had done it. Right. I couldn't fully appreciate what I had just gone through for the last hundred weeks. You're probably still going through that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, even, even some of it's like unbelievable to me, like what, what, (laughs) uh, hundred, hundred miles in your living room. Like, did I really do that? Your, your, your grandmother, I mean, your whole family, but your grandmother and your brother would be so proud, man. Um, they would be so proud of you right now. Um, you know, um, David, you know, David was right in the sense that we shouldn't, we shouldn't spend our days toiling away at work. Right. His passing made me realize that really quickly because what if that was me, right? David, David died and it was tragic. He lived before he died. And I, and I, you know, I I thought about it then. I still think about it today. If, if the tables were turned and that was me and I, and I, and I had died tragically, tragically like that at 29, I wouldn't have anything to show for it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, Oh, he worked a bunch and that's that, you know? Um, It wasn't until embarking on this journey and doing these challenges that I didn't ever think I could do that. I started to travel more and experience, you know, community experience, the world experience, like, different parts of the country how beautiful it is right yeah, like the, like the it really story. is beautiful it, i mean the whole story is beautiful man and uh gosh it's and that the was there's so many incredible parts you know the fact that your brother's story still gets to be told today and you know yeah. the fact that you get to carry his legacy the fact that you know you're now you're you've done this thing it's incredible but you're you're sharing his like I said his story with me and my listeners and then you'll continue to do this over and over again and it just the ripple effect this is going to make on humanity in general and um, it's just phenomenal to see um, and so man yeah it's, what a what an absolute wonderful story um, and dude I really appreciate this conversation because I know I know I know you get it right like I know, I know you're able to um, you're able to speak about it in 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 a in terms that you understand, but you're hitting the nail on the head, like and and the things that you're saying, you know, in the experience, just going through the experience of of uh, that physical challenge, right, of pushing past these doubts that we inevitably have, right. And so the, 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 this is what I love because it happens in every 100 mile race. Yeah, man, those life cycles. Um... <laughs> So, all right. So, so let me, let, let's do this. Let's, um, I want to, I want to s- s- make sure that we save time to talk about some key things that are important to you to address from, from your journey from right. you know the very beginning until now. Um, I do have one. I ask some rapid fire questions. I think that your point that you made earlier before we jumped on about, um, overcoming the low moments, I think we can hone in on that and, and make sure that the audience walks away with that message. Uh, but before we get to that quick point, just, some things that are on my mind, you know, um, looking at the entire journey, one of the big things was dealing with doubt. Okay. And I think a lot of people are dealing with doubt. So if, if somebody has doubt in their mind, I mean, knowing the journey that you just went through, what's, what's like your one piece of advice for somebody to remove their doubt, remove the ceiling that they're putting in front of themselves. What would you say is the best action step for them to start doing? So I love this because it happens every, every, every weekend, every hundred miler there has been a point where doubt creeps in, right? And I, and I just have this incredible worry of whether can I do it or not. Um, what gets me through it though is knowing that that doesn't last. 
it, it, it really, it really is like a wave of energy that comes and goes and you have this negative energy, right? That, that, that's where your doubt comes from is having this low. Um, but you get lifted out of it, right? You just remember the key things of, of, so I'll speak in terms of a hundred mile race, but this is really applicable anywhere. Um, in a hundred mile race, you know, what is accounting for that low? I know I'm having this doubt because physically I feel low. What can I do to get out of that physical low? Oh, well, am I low on calories? Oh, am I low on um, human interaction, right? Do, do I need to have a conversation with someone? Oh, do I need some like auditory caffeine, like music to pump me up, right? Like th th these, are, these are energy lows that I know is, is what is responsible for the doubt. So what can I do to, to get myself out of that energy low, right? And I speak in terms of 100 miler because that's what we're talking about. But th this is really, this pertains to any kind of um, challenge that yeah. that we have relationship challenge um career challenge you, you you just recognize that you are in this position but it won't last long and and you basically do what you did you you go internal to your feelings and you say what is this teaching me what do i need right now and you go right. in discovery mode okay let me solve that problem versus this is like you know Versus feeding the doubt and that becoming the whole mindset. Like you're like, what's the feeling? What's this teaching me? How do I solve this problem? And then boom, we can get fo moving forward. And absolutely, you mentioned, you know, that um, this won't last. So for Ranger School, you know, Ranger School, is 62 consecutive days where you're just like, don't eat a whole lot, you don't sleep a whole lot, and you got to keep moving. Um, my internal mantra was that you can't stop the clock. Right. You know, and so I, for me getting one day to the next, it was about, Hey, one foot in front of the other. You, you can't stop time. No matter how shitty things get, you can't top, stop time. <laughs> and, and, and as you go through time, things are going to eventually get better. It's like inevitable. Right. So right. huge, huge points that you just drove home there. Um, all right. One, another question, quick question. Um, so, you know, you've, you've gotten to this position where you've basically been able to achieve something man, I don't even know how many, you could probably count them on one hand. I don't know if there's how many, how many people, I don't think there's anybody that's ever done a hundred consecutive hundred milers. Um, but even in the class of people that have completed a hundred, hundred milers, I know there is a couple of people out there. You're just like, you can count them on your right. hands if there's anybody in history that's ever done it. And um, so it's basically to get that, that level of achievement, it takes consistency, it takes hard work, it takes overcoming doubt. Um, what would you say is if you had to like look and assess yourself, what would you say is the one trait that you have that others should try to build in order to accomplish something incredible? Like what's the unique thing about Michael Ortiz that has allowed him to push through when others probably would have quit? <clears throat> if you had to pick something and I know you're a humble guy and so, but, but be honest here, what do you think it is? You, let's see, it's a, a, a bunch of cliche things come to mind, like persistence and determination and dedication, but it's really, yes, it's a combination of all those things. But really, I would say the, um, the, the game changer, right? The, the real, the, the underpinning of, 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 of like any success, but certainly in this one is you have to have um, a vision of where you want to be. Like for yourself, and you have to have that vision, like upfront, right? Maybe not upfront. Maybe you develop it over time, while while you know um, pursuing this challenge. But you have to have a vision. You have to know where you want to be. And <clears throat> when I knew that, 
when I got to week 58, um, at the end of 2019, and I knew that I wanted to, or I had the idea that I wanted to push forward to hundred, that's a vision that I had. I, I, I knew where I wanted to be. I knew where the end game was. And, and, and like, I constantly every weekend projected to that, right? Like I always, okay, 1024, that, that's, that's, that's a number 100 in the game of hundos, like October 24th. And that's where I knew that I wanted to be. And I always, I always thought of getting, getting to that future point wasn't going to be easy. It wasn't going to be free, right? There's, there's real cost to it, but I always, I always envisioned myself there. And I think that vision is what pushed me every single weekend. And it's, there were some weekends where it seemed like it would never come, right? Like when the pandemic happened, I'm like, this is still six months away. This is like months away. But, but that, I always had it. I, I always knew October 24th is where I want to be or specifically October 25th, because that's when the last hundred ended. <laughs> Powerful. And I imagine that that's consistent in all areas of your life, or at least the things that are important mm. to you. You have a very yeah. clear vision, just like the time growing up with your brother and, you know, having these milestone objectives of like, okay, let's put our family members, put our aunts in, in some homes. There's a vision there. There's a vision for, you know, getting the, going through school. Um, and all that stuff probably had visions along the way. And so you're able essentially to cast a dream, a vision, right and then stay connected to it until completion. And that sounds like it's the thing that drives you the most and that it separates you probably from a lot of people in your opinion. Is that accurate? That is accurate. <clears throat> Which is, I just want to make one clarification though. Vision is different from having that goal, right? So, so like the goal of, of the 100 100s, you know, like have, having the goal of completing it, that's one thing. That's certainly a driver that drives anyone. But in, seeing yourself there, Mm-hmm. that's a totally different, that's totally different. And in my experience, that has been, so th- it, what I wasn't, I wasn't looking to do to like completing a hundred by a hundred by a hundred. That, that wasn't, yes, that was the goal, but that's not what I was looking at. I was looking at myself in, in that position, like of having just being there on the Sunday on October 25th, just, just doing it, you know? Yeah. And I was like, really, I wanted to, I wanted to see that through. The, yeah. The vision of your future self, you know, and, and, Man, that, there's so many parallels here. What, so I, I came into the military, just briefly, I came into the military, I was enlisted, and then I want my dream, my game of hundos was getting into soft and into becoming a ranger officer, which for me was like, just way out there. Never, No way, Jeremiah, you're a small kid from a small town, there's no way you can do it. <laughs> yeah. And a lot like your journey, I started accomplishing some small things that changed my perspective of myself and what I could do, and I started stretching a little bit. Yeah. And um, along the way, there was a point probably six years before, um, I was in soft where I, every single day from that point forward, I was visualizing who I was going to be once I accomplished that, that goal, but it wasn't the goal that I was focused on. It was me feeling proud of myself for what I had exactly. done, me giving myself that opportunity, the chance, risking it, go overcoming the hard times. And, and I used to do this every single fucking night for probably <laughs> six years. And it wasn't like I was like sitting down with a piece of paper. It just, it came a little bit naturally to me where I was obsessed about it. And um, there was one specific image that I had and it was me fighting in combat. that used to just constantly just come into my mind. Yeah. Um, And so I was, I would lay down at night and I'd work through it and I'd try to see myself achieving success and what it would feel like. And I know that that firefight in that dream was, was, it was taxing. It was emotional. I'd wake up and I'd feel a little bit stressed, but then, it was kind of wrapped up in this, this feeling of accomplishment at the same time. And, um, you know, that I woke up one day and I was, I was overseas. I was a ranger officer 
And I had just gotten done um, capturing, going after a bad guy. I have a high value target. I laid down in bed and as I'm laying there, I'm getting ready to pass out. It hit me that the vision I had been seeing the whole time, those whole six years, I had literally lived that exact mission that night. That's awesome, dude. And um, so anyways, it's just phenomenal to see that somebody that's, that's, you know, if we really want to pick stuff apart and find out success codes that we can, we, one of the things, the, the core things that we should do and for the listeners, and I'm going to continue to do, I'm probably going to listen to this podcast, probably, I mean, every, I don't it might be every week until who knows what, right? Like <laughs> maybe I'll listen to it a hundred times, right? Um, but it's, it's a, you know, there's a really powerful lesson there to cast the vision of seeing yourself in the future and how it's going to feel and experience it to carry you through. Um, Dude, I love that. That's awesome. That's awesome. But how did you feel? How did you feel at that point? It took six years and you got there. How did you feel when you were there? Oh, it was, it was like, it was utopia, man. It was like phenomenal. It was like, right? holy shit. that, that mission, <laughs> that mission had it some ups and downs. Um, and there was yeah. actually, it didn't, the outcome, I didn't actually get the way that I would, would have hoped it could have been a little bit better of experience. Some guys got hurt and stuff, but I, I remember, um, that everybody was okay. Okay. And I remember yeah. having those feelings that everybody was going to be okay in the vision. And, yeah. and so it was, it was a really, it was a mix of emotions for me, but it was also a, a moment of, holy shit, I just, I feel like I just created this Yeah. and what else can I do? And so I'm constantly doing that now with entrepreneurship and my own personal life. And so just thank you so much for sharing that whole story. And, um, but let's, 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 let's close out with a couple of notes. So yeah. Um, I want to touch I want to touch on the most important part of your journey, which is, you know, the key lesson that you want people to kind of walk away with. And you, we, we talked a little bit about it earlier and you said, I wish I would have talked about this before on some other shows and whatnot. So what, what right. is the, the key lesson or the key concept that you want people to kind of um, take away from your journey to the, on the game of hundos and you want them to adopt into their life? A hundred percent. So I think uh, if you extrapolate into real life, right, because that's a real, we are really me personally, and like everyone else who, who does these things are building values to help them in life, right? And so the one thing that I can extrapolate from the game of fundos to the greater part, the, you know, to life in general is, and, and, I, and, I, and I speak about it this way because I truly believe like completing a hundred mile race is like going through a complete life cycle, um, is that you have your ups and downs, you have your highs and lows. The lows, they don't last very long. You know, and we, we, we touched about this uh, just a short while ago, is that you will inevitably feel like crap. It, it's, 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 it is very hard to, to, to go that distance, to go through that entire time and feel like you're on cloud nine for the entirety of the time. It doesn't happen, right? That's not realistic. That's not a realistic goal. Um, you will feel like crap. You will have your, 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 your lows. Uh, you will feel like you can't finish it. You will wonder if you will ever feel good again. Like these are, this happens in every single hundred mile race that I've done in those, in those hundred weeks for the game of hundos. And guess what? That happens in life. <laughs> you will have periods in life where you feel amazing. It might, it might last for five years. You might have a golden period where you just feel like on top of the world, I'm Superman. Nothing can touch me. Everything's going the way that I want. It's unrealistic to believe that that golden period will last forever, right? Yeah. You will, you will start to go down and it could be anything. It could be, it, it, there doesn't have to be a catalytic event for that to happen, right? It could just be plateauing. That could be like where your golden period ends, where you're, you've achieved the level of success, but guess what? 
you're just there and you're plateauing. And it's, it's being at that plateau that's what's causing you to feel like maybe depressed, maybe that you've peaked, maybe that you've topped out in life and like what's there after this, like maybe you're not challenging yourself. But these are things that don't last very long, right? Because there are, there, there, the first thing is recognizing that, oh, I'm at a low. I'm at a low right now. And I need, to, I need to be aware that I'm at a low because there are ways that I can get out of this low, right? If you're in a 100-mile race, assess your energy level. Where is this low coming from? Am I not eating enough calories? Am I not having enough human interaction? Am I not, am I, am I not occupying my, my brain with something that I should be occupying with, right? Um, if you're plateauing in life, like understand where that's coming from. How did I get here? Like, where do I want to be? What are some of the things that I can do to get out of here, right? They don't last very long. They don't last very long. And I think I think I realize that and recognize that in every single race because because I do hit lows and every every week that comes. It's just like, oh, here it comes. I feel like crap. <laughs> 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 oh my God. And you have this like mental toolkit, right? And and like and like you just unfold it. And you're like, okay, what do I need? What do I need here? Okay, food. I haven't eaten in three hours or like two hours or whatever it is. And you know, like I've just been drinking this, um, this electrolyte drink, that's not going to sustain me until the, you know, like the rest of the race, I got to get food in me. So like, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at this toolkit and I'm like, okay, what do I have? I know that it's hard to talk about and just say that here's the advice, take it and run with it. It's hard to talk about without having that experience. Like you have to go through the experience again, earlier we talked about having a failure and it's, it's in going through that failure before we could really understand what it takes to succeed. And yeah, you will have, you will have to go through that. But like the first step is recognizing that when you're in a low, you won't be there for long. Yeah. You won't be there forever. And then what do I need? I won't be here forever. Yeah. What do I need right now? You know, that's, I'm going to remember that um, the next time I'm breaking myself off during something that's not quite as impressive, but also it'll be, it'll be painful. And I'm going to use that tool for sure. And it, it, I always try to find quick ways to use the stuff that I'm learning, no matter how deep the pain might be or how you know, hard the event might be, I'll still make through repetition and adopt that. That's huge for me as an individual. I know the listeners right now are like, okay, got it. I'm, I'm going to go there. Somebody right now is like, I'm going to go do, I'm going to go do a hundred miles right now. They're, or they're getting up and they're like, it's, it's, I don't know what it is. It's like eight, 5.00 AM their time. They're going to head to work and like, you know what? I'm going to go run 10 miles. There, you know, there's people right now that are so fired up. They're going to go run through walls. So uh, <laughs> really good stuff, man. <laughs> Um, all right. So let's talk about, you know, just briefly, where, where are you going? Like, tell me what the future looks like for you. And if there's anything yeah. else that you want the audience to know, now would be the, the time to go ahead and, and share it. So when I was going through the, through the last 100 weeks in the game of hundos, um, I was, I was focused on forward progression and getting to the next weekend and getting to the next weekend. I really, I really took it one week at a time. Um, of course I had this vision and I always, I always looked at myself at what it would be like and where I would be and how it would feel and, and on week 100. But I always took one week, one week at a time um, and just managing, micromanaging every week in between, right? In between each race, you're just like, okay, got to manage this. I never really got a uh, chance to appreciate the journey I, from, from a higher level. Like I did, of course, I appreciated it on a week by week basis. Um, you know, I made incredible friendships, yours included, right? And that Silver Heels weekend was, was an amazing experience. But I never had the chance to fully appreciate the game comes like from 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 high level. Um, now I'm getting a chance to do that. Right now I have the time to uh, to reflect, and I think that that that's what comes next is like doing this thing, right? And I feel like I I don't really know 
what comes after this until I've, I really understand where I've been. So what was the last 100 weeks about, right? Like I know, I know the values that I've taken out of it, right? They're very important values, but what were they really about, right? And so it's in understanding that, you know, I'm going through that reflection period now. It's in understanding that, that I really will know where I want to go from here. Yeah. I can't wait to read your book if you decide to write it. <laughs> You could, you could probably just, we could probably just chop this podcast up and uh, have somebody go ahead and start up the draft and then you can go and fill it in with all the great stories that we missed. Um, so I'm really excited, man. And I love it. It sounds like as we all should, we should have these milestones in our life, go from one to the next and then reflect, assess and kind of re recast the vision and do it again. That's kind of the point of all this, right? So yeah, um, really appreciate you sharing that with us. Uh, how can, is, is there any way for people to connect with you or to find you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you can, I'm like, I'm very approachable on these things. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. I send, just send me your friend requests or you can follow um, the Michael Ortiz or follow me on Instagram. It's uh, michael.henry.ortiz. Michael.henry.ortiz. Cool. Yeah. I think um, I, have, I have a pretty big Instagram um, audience where they, that's their platform of choice. So I think you'll probably get some friend requests from there or some follows from that. Um, so I that's awesome. Sharing that. And then um, I'll also be emailing this out. So um, we can also touch base on, on how that'll look later on and when that'll come out. But um, is there anything else that, that you want to say or anything you want to close out with? Um, I really appreciate the story and the journey you took me through just now. So, so two things. One, um, I appreciate your patience. Uh, and, you know, I, I hope I didn't go on for way too long. <laughs> Uh, so thank you. Thank you for being patient enough to, to like, l listen to my really long answers was, on some of these was, things. It was great. <laughs> I loved it. I, I, I was honestly like, you know, I was like, we tend to try to stay to like an hour or so. And I was like, you know, I don't care. This is this. This is great. This is good stuff. Okay. Somebody's and somebody's going to this is all somebody should listen to for the rest of their life. So I, I know it. we went we went far. We went far over that. And I, I apologize for running over. Um, oh, no, you're good. The second thing is you asked me for a quote at the start of this and there are a few that, that stand out to me. Um, the one that really just like, I love it for its simplicity and it's applicable everywhere. And so um, it's, a, it's a Robert Frost quote uh, and, and you probably heard this before, but uh, he says in three words, I can sum up life. It goes on, right? Mm -hmm. And I love that because it's so true. Life goes on. And what, what I really take away from that is you can apply to a hundred mile race. You can apply to the game of hundreds. You can apply it to life. It applies to life, you know, in general. And I like it because it's, you, you can, you can, bad things happen in life, right? Like it's, it's hard, it's hard to go through life without something, an event happening that will negatively impact you, right? We shouldn't dwell on those, on those things, right? We shouldn't dwell. So I'll give, I'll give you an example. Uh, we just talked about it. <laughs> David died. Right. And he was my best friend. He's someone that I looked up to. He was my role model. Right. For, for how, for how to live life. I, I really looked at him as like, Oh my gosh, the qualities that, that he had, the selflessness that he had, like I strive to have those same qualities. Right. Um, when he died, I was very upset, you know, and you know, for the better part of a year, I was, you know, just like in a bad place. Just like, Oh my God, something like that could happen to someone so good. My best friend. And meanwhile, you have like, you know, like bad people out there who <laughs> do all kinds of things and they survive. Yeah. <laughs> they go through and they survive. Like what? That's not fair. Um, I, you know, eventually realized that I shouldn't be stuck in that mentality. 
you know, life happens. Guess what? It goes on. Like we find a way to make it go on. So like now my version of having, figuring out how life goes on is, is doing these, th- like the game of Hondos, for example, like being inspired by my brother, having his memory still inspire me today, right? Um, to go out and do the things that I normally, I wouldn't have done, you know, had David not died. I still would be, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go travel. I wouldn't go do these things. But because I, you know, uh, because that happened, I realized, yeah, we, we need to, we need to strive and continue to go on. So I really like that quote for simplicity because it applies, it applies everywhere. <laughs> beautiful. No, beautiful. And, um, it's really, it's going to, it's be, just become one of my favorite quotes and I, yeah, I had heard it before, but now I have a deep, deep meaning to it. So, um, life goes on. I really appreciate that. Okay. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, man, I am just, I'm honestly, I'm overwhelmed and blown away by today's episode. <laughs> And, um, you know, I, I like to give you guys some action steps and some, some takeaways at the end of these. And I'm just going to give you one, I'm going to give you one action step and that's to re-listen to this, re-listen to this episode, um, as many times as your little heart can desire and, and put up with, and, and <laughs> you're going to constantly learn new things and, and new ideas are going to be re- revealed to you. And, um, it just, I'm just blown away by how great this was. And so that's my action step for all of you today. I know that you can take away something for you in terms of your leadership, in terms of performance, in terms of getting through bad days, good days, uh, sticking to a goal and seeing it all the way through. And then also just appreciating life, man. Um, I'm personally very inspired by the, the story that was given today and I'm, I'm never going to forget it. And, you know, so Michael, thank you. And ladies and gentlemen, digest it, listen to it again until next time. Be the leader. I need some motivation. motivation. Every day I try a little harder, but my dedication. dedication. Keep my head way, way above the water. Crying myself and I yell at the wall. Begging to run, but I needed to crawl. I see the finish line up ahead. Trying to get traction from all of this tread. I am a king. I am a queen. I am more than the people can see. I am strong when I'm needing to be. Vulnerability's nothing to me. You can try, but I'm unshakable. My successes is never debatable. I'm coming and I'm so interchangeable. Here's to you and all that you are capable. You gotta go hard, better get it.